0: and welcome back to The Ready Room. Today I'm talking with Greg and Tony from the YouTube channel Little Wars TV, uh, a channel that is dedicated to the hobby of historical miniatures wargaming. Now the guys do a better job of describing the hobby than I would, so I'll let them do that, but just as an introduction, essentially they recreate historical battles using miniature soldiers. Uh, I described it to one friend as a game of Stratego using a diorama. Now, I first became aware of them through my subscription to the American Battlefield Trust channel. Greg and Tony uh, partnered with the Trust on the anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg to produce a tabletop recreation of that battle. Now, if you're still with me up to this point, but you've got an eyebrow raised, stick with me. This conversation was really fascinating. Greg and Tony along with their compatriots at Little Wars TV, have created something really awesome. The channel focuses less on the nuts and bolts of the hobby than it does the people and the experience. In fact, the episodes are rarely more than 30 minutes, and they consist mainly of the guys razzing each other, talking to the camera using corny accents, and uh, in general, drinking lots of scotch. Of course, we do talk about the hobby and about their humble beginnings. The club started with two guys in the back of a comic book store, uh, to the growth of their club, to a membership of over 30 members, and they have a privately owned purpose-built loft style clubhouse uh, decorated with military memorabilia, photos and antiques, basement recording studio, and of course, a well-stocked wet bar. And what really hooked me about their channel was those aspects of their club that they highlight on the videos. The games, of course, look stunning. uh, And I really encourage you to check out their channel, Little Wars TV. But it's the interaction of the guys, the personalities, the joy that they get from playing these games that really comes across. In a world in which we communicate more and more virtually, Greg... Tony and the rest of the Little Wars TV crew have created what I can only describe as a social club similar to those that existed in decades past where face-to-face social interaction is a prereq and the members share a camaraderie that spans decades and it exists beyond any one member. Greg, Tony, and I, we we drank scotch and ended up talking far longer than I expected. And as you'll hear, we went down some pretty deep rabbit holes, uh, especially towards the end, dealing with societal discourse and the way in which we deal with each other online versus in person. I really enjoyed our time together. I really think you will love hearing their story and getting a glimpse into their hobby. And you'll find that what they've created goes beyond the hobby. It's it's an affect, really. It's, it's not the game that takes center stage here. It's the act of playing and the players themselves. And so, without further ado, please welcome Greg and Tony to the Ready Room. Gentlemen, thank you thank you for having me here i really really appreciate it this is uh i've been looking forward to this for a long time
1: yeah thank
2: you for coming all the way out here
0: yeah
1: you're gonna want to get closer to that mic (laughs) all right yeah
0: yeah i knew it i i I was like yeah these guys are gonna cuddle um and i I hate (laughs) to do it to you (laughs) so um but uh yes as i sit over here like this watching you guys cuddle. um but yeah uh absolutely it's my pleasure to be here guys uh to, to see the room uh which is great as soon as i walked in earlier while you were playing i just was like yep this is a place i know that so um so let me start out I, I here's how it happened i think so you guys came up as a recommendation in my youtube uh feed and i was like what what's this this is cool and so i i, I clicked on the video and just loved it i don't even remember what the first video i was, was that i watched but i remember being like what? what have I just watched? This is great. These guys are great, man. Uh, and I think, so I really think that you guys came up in my video because I subscribe to the uh, Historical Trust, the Battlefield Historical Trust channel, and uh, because I'm a big uh, history guy. I love military history. I always have. And um, and I, as a matter of fact, maybe that was it. It was the Gettysburg, the Gettysburg battle that you Gettysburg. did with them. Anyway, I, so I watched something with the American Historical Trust. Um, I think I'm saying their name right. And uh it, and then you guys popped up in my feed, probably because of that, and I proceeded to binge watch all of your videos, uh, which was just great. Uh, so I think that, uh, that the algorithms must be working. But uh, in any case, my wife was watching this stuff with me, and she's just laughing. She's like, "She's like, what are you watching?" I'm like, "So this is this is it. This is a house. I go, well. I'm watching these guys play with toy soldiers and drink scotch, and she just is laughing. Her, butt, she's like, this, "This sounds like you." I'm like, "Doesn't it? This is good stuff." So she actually watched a view with me, and she even said, "She's like, these guys look like they're having a good time." So, um, with that said, so uh,
1: what? What is? I just I'm curious. Yeah, I, go, I mean, do you have any war gaming experience? Uh, so I mean, have you played with some toy soldiers in your day? A-
0: absolutely, played with toy soldiers all the time when I was little. I had a whole bunch of them um but in terms of wargaming no uh as a matter of fact and i was going to you you guys can i'll let one of you define what you do here in a moment but you know most people if you said hey this is it's a wargaming club they would probably if they're really laymen, they would think like risk right uh or maybe if they've had a little more experience with board games and maybe they think axis and allies or something like that which me and my brothers play uh, and, and argue over. Um, but, uh, you know, so they wouldn't think that, right? So if you say, and, but if you say, well, it's grown men playing with toy soldiers, then that sounds pretty pathetic. And they would be like, well, what? It, and I'm like, well, it, it, it's harder to define. So I don't know, one of you, define what you do and what you would call it.
2: What we're doing is historical miniature wargaming, which is basically what we did as kids with the plastic army men, except with uh, some more grown-up rules. there It doesn't, or seldom at any rate, generate to a fist fistfight. Um, the rules <laughs> that control can be good, movement and morale and how the combats work out. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a bunch of grown men pushing toy soldiers around. In this case, um, could be thousands of figures or a couple dozen figures. But it is pretty much just that, right, Greg?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are certainly different types of wargaming. So um, sci-fi and fantasy wargaming would be the most popular kind. What we do here is mostly historical wargaming. So we're not just setting up toy soldiers for the sake of setting up toy soldiers. We're trying to set up the Battle of Waterloo, the Battle of Gettysburg. And part of the fun and part of the reason we get all these guys coming here every week is because we are history buffs. And you're trying to see. Well, you know. Well, what if I tried this other strategy? I mean, what if what if Lee hadn't done Pickett's Charge? Well, I would have done this other thing. I mean, everyone likes to pretend they're an armchair general, right? <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. So that that you know that is exactly how to say it, Tony. Perfect. Uh, that that makes it sound so much better. And you're right. I, the um, the idea that you're doing something that is based in history was, at least to me, part of the hook. I was like, wow, this that's cool. You know, so again, like when my wife's watching, she's like, what? well, that guy right there, he's Marshal whoever from the Napoleonic battle of whatever. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he's talking from, and she's just laughing. I was like, yeah, no, they're really, they're taking the place of historical battles and they're refighting them. And so again, uh, um, I'll relate another story. It was, um, uh, um, I was talking to my doctor and, uh, and telling him, Hey, yeah, he was like, Hey, how's your podcast going? Oh, it's going good. I'm, I'm going over to York to interview these guys. Uh, well, yeah, what do they do? And I told him and he goes, this is literally his quote he goes that sounds pathetic and i go yeah but it's not it's not it's really like a gentleman's society um w- with scotch and and toy soldiers and it's and he's looking at me and i'm like you have to watch never mind never mind man so but that's what i keep saying i was like no you got you got to watch this it's really these guys are having a great time and uh and and i love it and so if my wife can enjoy watching it, I know other people would, and I was just like, "This is really, really cool." And you, you even ask her, you're like, "Hey, do you have any experience?" Of course, oh my gosh, I had toy soldiers coming out the wazoo when I was young, and I remember, you know, I would go outside with the little plastic soldiers in in my parents' flower beds, you know, for hours digging Story trenches,
2: firecrackers. Uh,
0: <laughs> holy moly, that's where I'm headed. They all they all got destroyed, but when I got to so, yeah, so I would go out there, and I would line them up and have these epic battles, and it might, you know, my world would just disappear into the flower bed for hours. I'm sure my mom was fine with that so because I was occupied, not doing anything, um, you know, and then it gets to a certain point, and I guess that's why this whole channel and what you guys are doing is fascinating because it gets to a certain point when you're, you know, getting right into those teen years where that's just not cool and that's not going to cut it, right? So, you know, for the sake of your... uh uh, your social life with the women and not getting your butt beat by the guys, you, you, you'd leave that behind. Right. And, and it's a survival strategy. So I remember me and my, my friends in the neighborhood, we, we blew a bunch up with my old, his, one of my friend's older brother had a bunch of M eighties and stuff. And we blew up models. We were lighting trenches on fire. We we're just watching things melt and blowing stuff up and like, yeah, who cares? Uh, kind of look back now. I'm like, that was dumb, man. I give that to my kids right now they're all gone. But so you know once you get past all that of course at a certain point i still always had that i still do have that 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 fascination in my head for
2: for those times in the flower bed playing with soldiers and that's that's basically where we're at now um and i've started doing this oh i was probably 11 um neighbor of mine who was a little older had a game from Avalon Hill called Midway. It was a board game. It was a war game. I played Midway. I played Panzer Blitz. Um, by the time I was 12, like sixth grade, I was, that was my Christmas list. Here's war games that I want. And I started with board games. Um, and then I discovered miniatures and I discovered role-playing games and, it's been a lifelong passion. I'm 55. Now I've been doing this since I was you know, 11 years old. Um, and that, that pushing the soldiers around on the table and not just the pushing the soldiers around, but the problems, the analytical problems that the scenario presents, here's a historical battle. How do you How do you perform better than they did historically? Um, Greg mentioned Gettysburg. Gettysburg is one of those grail games, I think, for Greg and I both. I've played every Gettysburg game I can get my hands on. We've played it with miniatures. I've played it on board games. And I always tell myself, I can do better than Lee. And I've never, for almost 40 40 years, I've never gotten past that. I have to play yet another version of Gettysburg because I know that if I just get one more piece of the puzzle to fall in line, I can do better than Lee did at Gettysburg. And I think that's, that's part of the thing that keeps us always looking at, at the next game, the, the new thing that we're
1: going to do here at the club. You know, on that Gettysburg topic, it is, it's funny because it, it is the Holy grail for both of us. And you can think back to all the times we've played that battle And it's almost impossible to do better than Lee. That's the joke. That's the appreciation that you gain from doing this. I mean, you can, of course, say us, grown men playing with toy soldiers, childish pursuit, and in some sense it is. We're just having fun. But there is the intellectual, analytical part of it that Tony mentioned, where it gives you that historical appreciation that, I mean, we've tried every strategy as the Confederates at Gettysburg, and that battle is damn near impossible for the Confederates to win. So... That's the appreciation that you gain when you do a whole variety of these battles, and Gettysburg is just it happens to be a really famous, really good example of it.
0: Yeah, uh, and you know what, Greg, you just said something that, that struck me, which is, uh, on the surface, like I was saying, you know, like when my doctor goes, "That sounds pathetic," I'm like, "It's not." And really, if I if if he were to put if push came to shove, I would literally look at him and it's, and be like, "No, it's not. It's like really." an awesome thing. Um, so I just wouldn't have known how to describe it like you guys just described it, which is just awesome. And so already I, I, as far as I'm concerned, what you guys are doing, that intellectual part, I can see it. Um, and it's also combined with, uh, you know, a level of camaraderie and fun, which I want to get to in a minute too, because that comes through in your videos so much, which is why I think, uh, that your video has been, or your channel has been successful. Um, so uh, you mentioned Avalon Hill, by the way. I, I, had a, uh, I had a a game that I played from Avalon Hill when I was young. It was called Bowlbound. Bound. It was a college football <laughs> game. And I played the hell out of that. That board was – you, you actually moved a plastic football up and down this board. Based on rolling dice, and they had these computer chart printouts. I so, remember that game. You, you know the game, but I'm talking. Remember that? Yep. So it was all color coded, right? And you rolled, and you had to see what you got. So if you're like, "Hey, I'm running up the middle on this one," boom, and you'd be like, "Oh, okay, five yards." And then the defense would roll, and he would have like minus one, and it and, it, and if it was in parentheses, that meant you had to take. That. Anyway, I I can still remember it because it was so good. And I and you know I'm, I graduated from Penn State, so I always had to play Penn State. But they had <laughs> teams from all over, and I remember that you could actually order. You know they made new graph charts every year for all the teams that came out, man. And it was just like, oh yeah, I have to have this
2: year of of this team. Yeah, and they had that whole series of sports games yeah. there for a while, and every year you could get the new the new charts. That's for right. the new teams, and I didn't own any of the sports games, but I played a couple of them. It was like, oh look, finally I can be you know, well when I was a kid, Bart Starr. Yeah, because um, they had a they had an NFL game that was similar, and yeah. Books yep. Really. I remember it, man. The
0: exact same thing. I, and I remember the Avalon Hill. I can still see my uncle had Avalon Hill games, you know, on the, the bookshelf games, right? So, uh, so for the people out there, Avalon Hill is an old gaming company that, that their games were in boxes that looked like you could put them on a bookshelf. They looked like something that was like part of a library. And so and that was part of the build. but it was always very grown up. You know, I was always like, "Oh yeah. Uncle, uncle Mike's playing this game, you know, but I don't know how to play that, you know? So, but, um, which gets me to a point that I, I kind of had dropped, jotted down when I, was com- uh, when I was thinking about doing this interview, which is uh, the throwback um, to what your hobby is. Um, nowadays, kids play computer games. That's basically it. Um, why, you know, how they would ever get into this other than, you know, meeting people that do it, it seems odd. So a computer simulation can do everything that you guys are doing on a table And yet, I don't think that that has the appeal, at least not to me.
2: Well, and computer games are a big thing, but there's been a resurgence in board games in this country. um, And most of those have nothing to do with what we're doing here. But between board games, some of which um, there are board games for The Walking Dead, there are board games for Game of Thrones, you mentioned Axis and Allies earlier, those board games, and a host of miniature games, um, Warhammer 40K, Frostgrave, games like that where there's a handful of figures involved, those games are potentially a gateway to what we do um the the notion of gaming as a pastime uh had kind of gone by the wayside but with the current generation like my son's generation board games and and those sorts of games are now big business and wildly popular and i think that there's got to be a hook there somewhere between that and what we're doing
0: that's a good thing to hear by the way Maybe it's because I you know my kids are small, but i don't and i don't know what you know kids that are would be a little bit older are doing, um, but it seems like everything is computer games now, and that 's all I hear uh, but it would be it would not surprise me then to to hear that that kids are actually gravitating back towards something that's tangible right where they can put their hands on it and oh by the way, interact like this uh, rather than you know with a headset in front of a, a computer. Uh, where their buddies are all somewhere else, um, you know, playing whatever, Battlefield, whatever. Um, so, and I don't, I don't do computer games. So, uh, but yeah, that, uh, you know, the, uh, and, and I, I will say, like, you're, you're right. I think uh, there are, like, I can remember playing Settlers of Catan, uh, which is a great game uh, when I was out in Afghanistan. Uh, and boy, we just had the, a lot of fun doing that. And it actually got pretty, uh,
2: I feel yeah, out it of got sorts. pretty vivid. I've never played that. Yeah. Oh
0: really? Yeah, it's it's a great game. It's a, it's like a resource game where you're trying to um, uh, you're trying to marshal your resources in a way that, um, that that gets you the best position on this this island. Um, oh, it's a
1: great game. Yeah, I mean, a, a bunch of us here in the club certainly have played it. But that that game, Settlers of Catan, is a great example of the kind of board games that have been. Having the popularity resurgence that tony just mentioned it's it's what they call a euro style game All the pieces are just little painted wooden blocks very very simplistic looking but with a more advanced set of Resource management rules, and so those games really they're booming right now. There are conventions called like adepticon and gen con where they're getting thousands tens of thousands sometimes of, of young people coming to play these games and And while that is very encouraging for guys like us in this club, the challenge that we have is trying to figure out how the hell to take those people and bring them closer to what we do here. And nobody's really cracked uh, that puzzle yet, and that's part of the reason a couple years ago that we started Little Wars TV. Our hope was that maybe if we just get some exposure and show people hey, we're a group of guys having a great time playing a slightly different kind of game than what you're used to, but still a strategy game nonetheless, that maybe that would be enough to to draw some people over. And I, I don't know what the answer to the puzzle is. I don't, I don't know how you take those people and introduce them.
0: Um, well, I can tell you right now that you've sucked me in. Um, not that I have any I – I don't have opportunities to play – a miniature war game but if I did I certainly would uh, so uh, but um you know that like Settlers Catan you mentioned it there's there's a gameplay there's a uh, um what's the word I'm looking for there's a depth of gameplay there that is beyond what monopoly or life, you know, these games that pale in comparison. When you look back, you're like, yeah, why were we oh, playing you've that? you've never played Monopoly was, with so, the game. Well, that now that's right. true. You're right. I, <laughs> that can get good, to uh, play the right way. And, of course, everybody always has to have, like, we had house rules that were were very specific. But, but um, yeah, maybe that's a bad, but, you know, there was a host of Hasbro or Parker Brother games back in the day that were, were cheaply made, had no real, um, depth of play like like you get with something like settlers um and certainly what you guys are doing and so just to get back with that the, the the rules and i love your rules reviews now too uh, because i'm always like oh yeah let's see what they give for this one you know because then you'll play the game and then you do the rules that you used and i'm like uh but it's just great you know and you get the the four uh, i can't remember the four blocks
2: playability uh, historical flavor what what are they again uh oh well, let's see we have playability Mechanics, historical flavor, uh, production value. What am I missing? Support. Yeah, that's right. Support. Yeah.
0: Anyway, so I love those reviews. And and they're, they're, uh, in many cases, complex, right? They're books, um, many pages long. Um, but I love the way, cause you guys break it down. You're like, yeah, okay. So there's many pages, but really once you've got it, only a couple of pages are really necessary to kind of get going and play the game. Uh, so that, that the entry level, the, the, the barrier to entry seems higher than it probably is. And I think you mentioned that Greg, on one of the videos you were talking about getting people into the hobby, right? Uh, and you'd actually said specifically, Hey, we just think that if more people were aware of this and knew about it, that there would be more people doing it, and I, I gotta agree, like hundred percent. Like I I really wanna I really wanna do that. Right I, now. I do
1: I do think to your point that the complexity and the density of some of the wargaming rules that you saw back in the seventies, eighties, even the nineties, turned a lot of people away. It, it would not be unusual, Tony's, you know, giving me the eye roll right now because <laughs> those were his younger years, but it would not be unusual back then for there to be a hundred page rule book. That you really needed to know and it's been interesting to watch there's a a trend in professional war game design and in the publishing world that's been playing out over the last really 10 to 15 years and the the industry term the euphemism is streamlining and what they really mean by streamlining is that they're taking 100 page set of rules and turn them into 10 pages they're making them shorter. And in general, I think that that is a really positive development because that is what's going to be less intimidating for somebody maybe like yourself who's experiencing a miniatures war game for the first time. You're going be much more likely to sit down and play a 10-page game than you are to unpack the algebra of a 100-page rules.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, you said um, in one of your uh, reviews um, that... Some of the, the streamlining of these rules, as you said, uh, you know, taking uh, what would normally be incredibly complex mechanics and, and boiling them down to something that's simple. I think you even said it, and I, I thought, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, it, it, you actually end up getting very historical. Uh, results at, anyway. It doesn't have to be this micro sort of uh, rule set, right? In order to get a really good historical uh, flavor or, or result,
2: uh, and feel like you're kind of at whatever battle you happen to be playing. Well, and one of the things that makes um, that that makes some conversation between gamers um, is that we all have differing ideas of where that break point is between what's playable versus what's realistic and how much rules mass can I tolerate as a player before I don't want anything to do with this. Um, Likewise, the other thing that we see is the scale of the game. There are some people at our club who are totally dedicated to skirmish games, games, games where you're playing a squad a war band um, something like a platoon level or below Um, greg and i tend to be interested in big battle games i don't want to be a sergeant or a lieutenant i want to be a field marshal um the whole point to me of playing a war game is i want to i want to demonstrate my ability or lack thereof depending on the night to influence the the, the great moments in history. Yeah, the grand scale. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. What happens to Sergeant Rock and his squad matters to Sergeant Rock and his squad. Yeah, I don't give a damn about Sergeant Rock and his <laughs> squad unless they're capturing that. I'm trying bridge to remember that we which need. videos you
0: were in now. So, uh, <laughs> you? Did you play the uh, the Dick Winters? Uh, um, the ba- it's it's the, not Foy. The battle it's is It's Foy. Foy. Is it Foy? Now, I, yeah, what did you say? I was like, oh, is that really how it's pronounced? No, not Foy? No, I totally missed that game. Okay, Thank yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um. But no, yeah, so I, that's, a, yes, exactly. So having that, that grand epic scale as compared, and, and I, uh, what you said there was so again i'm going back to what my wife's impressions have been with me <laughs> i'm watching these because like i tried to play Axis and Allies with her one time uh because you know my, my brothers live a long way from me now <laughs> and i'm like hey let's play some max house and just the setup she was like are, are you kidding me we, we're not done setting up it's been like an hour i'm like awesome. yeah but babe it will get good it'll get good she, it never some, did some she, of
1: those she, old like yeah, hex, the, hex encounter you, like avalon hill games some of those games could take hours to set uh, up yeah was
0: she like, was she was beyond, it was she was already so risk <laughs> to axis analysis was too big of a jump so i'm guessing probably that uh that getting into a set of rules you know with a book would be too much but that's a great point but i think that if if your capture if your imagination is captured by what you guys are doing already like it was for me i, I would be like yeah okay l- let me get past that boundary man so that we can play this and really if if you're playing with someone who already knows the rules and they're kind of helping you out, then again, that barrier is a little less. It's like, oh, here you go, Bart, do this or look at this chart, roll this. And um, uh, but I love it. Let me let me go back a little bit because we, you know, we've got we jumped right into the hobby, and I just kind of want to go back from a personal standpoint and and how the one how how the club started. How did you guys all come together, find each other? and and start doing this because it's you know what i mean look at this this room it, it's amazing you guys have obviously taken ownership and made this into something that is absolutely awesome
1: like that gentleman society like i was telling you and um and we'll get back into that but how did it all start well there were much more humble beginnings uh, yeah, than imagine. this than this room for damn sure uh, we we started off it was uh, two guys uh, it was neither Tony or myself. Uh, for anybody who's seen our channel, it was two guys who do appear on the channel, Chow uh, and Keith, and they were interested. Chow, Chow's a marine, right? Chow's a marine. Yes, he is.
0: Yeah, tell him simplify for me.
1: Uh, I'm sure. Yes, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, he he and Keith started the club. Uh, it was just two guys who were interested in playing a World War II skirmish game, and they um, were meeting in the back of a local comic store pushing miniatures around. A third guy joined them, and the third guy was more interested in Napoleonics. So Chow and the third guy started playing Napoleonics. Suddenly, it was the three of them alternating, well, we're going to play World War II tonight, Napoleonics the next night. And Tony and I uh, came along very shortly thereafter. We were, we were both in fairly early. And I would say that within two years, we easily had half a dozen guys who were meeting once a week in the back of this comic store. Uh, And I have to say, the comic store was very generous in that regard. We didn't have to pay money to be there. I mean, my God, if they were charging us rent, I don't think this would have lasted for long. And that's the reason I think that a lot of people who are interested in wargaming maybe fail to get a club off the ground, because it just you know, it goes into somebody's basement, it's a group of guys, you know, they need a place to go. Well, you're not, how are people going to find you there? If it's just you and your buddies playing a war game in the basement, there's nothing wrong with that. We've all done that, but it's hard to grow a group, a, a public group, if you're not meeting in a public space. So I consider us very, very lucky that we had access for many years uh, to that comic store.
0: Yeah, and if you're going to be in the basement, somewhere again as grown guys it, it better be you know maybe a poker game would be better of right but it's it's much better to have a spot that is uh that is separate that you're like you said it's a it's a public spot we can all come and it doesn't uh, and it feels a little bit more um What's the word? I don't know if official is the word, but but I'll tell you right now, once you've gotten to this point in this room and what you guys have built, this is official. I mean, this is a club. Uh, so how many people are in the club now? Uh, you mentioned uh, half a dozen originally, but the- we have
2: uh, probably, I think it's 30-odd people currently in the club. Active, we have about a dozen people who... On any given Monday night when we game, you can expect to see these faces. Um, And and this building that we're in, this structure that we're in, at some point or another, um, we had always talked about if only we had our own space. Because the comic store, while they were generous, um, we owe a shout out to Brett Stoner because he owned the comic store that we gamed at. And we had always talked about what if someday we had our own space? Yeah. And then at one point, Greg said, oh, someday I'd like for us to have our own dedicated space. Whatever, we all want that, but whatever. And Greg became more vocal about, you know, what if we had our own space, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, well, that would be awesome, but... And then one day it was... If we were going to have our own space and you were looking at this map, where would you pick the space? I'm like, well, downtown would work because it would be centrally located. This is all you, Greg, doing all this? Okay. You know, downtown would work because it would be centrally located, but, you know, that's all still just so much nonsense. And then suddenly Greg was like, hey, I'm, you know, everybody, if you can show up this weekend, we're going to turn this space into into our club what what and there it was and you know he had a plan he had a vision um and you're a visionary Craig I like that yeah, already right. <laughs> absolutely And not only a vision for how to make it work but what the space would look like and we got together and there were some professionals involved and there was a lot of hands-on from club members and we created this space and when you say professionals, you mean like a designer? Uh, no, no. All that Greg took care of, but he had some professional construction okay. people Yeah, yeah, up got it, got with it. With tools and
0: equipment. Yeah, that were contractors, the, not, not designers. Guys, yeah. right.
2: And they showed up. See,
0: this with place them. is getting more manly right now. I love it. It's right. awesome. They showed up with a trailer full of tools and materials. As and if it, it did need to be. There's deer heads on the wall that automatically, and there's a lot of 16 in our hands. Right. So this place is about as manly as it gets right now.
2: <laughs> and, and we built all this stuff, and it's been our home, and it, it's been amazing in that we have this incredible space, and there's n- nothing any of us can say or do to thank Greg enough for providing it, um, but we've had an opportunity to grow our club in the way that we wanted to the downside of being in a public space and don't get me wrong If you're gonna start a group and you want to get members you need to be in a public space So people feel safe about yeah, yeah Meeting and and all of that But the downside of that is that okay, it's nine o'clock. You have to be out of here um we're sharing the space and I think that was the biggest catalyst. We were sharing the space with a role playing group, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing with role playing games. I was running one here earlier today before you arrived, but the role playing group was loud and boisterous, and what's the word I'm looking for annoying <laughs> um, and there were just there were some downsides yeah. to being at the club, and so this gave us an opportunity to have a space where you can leave stuff set up and we can store stuff and we don't have to leave at nine o'clock and we can enjoy a drink like grown men and the whole nine yards. So this really, it also allows us to control who plays with us because one of the considerations um, when you're doing this, like any other hobby is, well, I don't necessarily want to participate with that person. And nothing against that person, but there are personality issues in relationships are all about personality. And and getting that right fit of people where everybody's comfortable with the people they're around is an important consideration in successful. And we've been doing this now since what a child start this in 2000. 2001 it's now 2019 some of us have been doing this for almost 20 years together and the reason that that has happened is because we've been not ruthless but we've been very careful about who it is that's in our group and who isn't um, so that we have a, a, a mix of people that all of us are all of us are good friends both here and outside of here
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting segue to, I mean, I've I've listened to your podcast. I enjoy listening to your episodes. And this discussion that Tony's mentioning is a really interesting segue to what you are all about on your podcast of people having, you know, civil discourse with each other, respectful discourse. And and when Tony says that we've been cultivating this group of guys for 20 years, I think some people may hear that and think, oh, well, then, you know, you're cultivating like-minded individuals, because certainly we a big part of what we do here is we talk about history and politics. We talk about world events here all the time. In addition to playing the games, that's half the fun. There are nights we don't even play the game. We might just sit here and talk about the Syrian conflict. And what's important to note is that we have people from all across the political spectrum here. I mean, hell, we got a guy who's like an active Green Party member. Uh, We've got libertarians. We've got people who voted for Trump, people who voted for Hillary. You got people like Tony and I who couldn't stand voting for either one of those fools. And the point is that the people who are here are able to have that civil discourse and, in fact, are excited to have that civil discourse and sit down. I mean, Tony and I disagree on almost everything politically, uh, and yet— we love talking politics. It doesn't mean we can't be friends and sit around here and have a scotch. And, this is and, the first time hearing about this, <laughs> right? Yeah. you know, it's it, that's what's great about the club. This this is a wargaming club, and it will always be a wargaming club. But it's also a a social club, and that is something that in you know 2019 America is sort of lost. Uh, I mean, where where do you? I mean, the VFW, like, I mean, that's dying out. Where do you go anymore to sit down with people face to face other than like a bar? and have a meaningful discussion and and that's why I'm glad you came because you know when I listen to your podcast I hear you and and your co-host I think it's Keith is his name yep. uh you know you guys are yearning to have those kinds of discussions and luckily for Tony and I that's what we get to do every week here I mean we we just get to have those discussions in a private setting whereas you know you're having them on your podcast
0: I have to sit here and take a moment by the way because that was just I'm sitting there listening to you, Greg, and I'm like, just exactly right. When we talk, when me and and Keith, when we first started talking about the, doing this podcast, it, it was exactly that. So me and me and Keith, same thing. We we don't agree politically on many things, but um, but we come from a you know that shared background of the Marine Corps, Cobra pilots, and we we, we just love each other, and we just realize that you know, hey, if people would talk to each other, I think we would. We would probably get something done, and we would probably come back to some sort of shared understanding. And we were like, "Well, maybe our small voice can do something with that." Um, and one of the things that we said in our initial, when we were sitting down, and of course, this is again goes back to me and and uh, and Keith having many you know alcohol fueled conversations over years and years, right? And uh, one of the things we kept saying was what you just said, which is this: where can you go nowadays? To sit down with people and just and just talk and 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 enjoy some quality social time and do maybe a shared experience and that is and I I mentioned that uh, either when we first talked Greg over the phone or in one of our text messages I was like you what you guys have and this is a great segue is it it appears to be. Um, one of those lost things, which is like a gentleman's society or I say gentlemen's club and, and you have to always caveat that now because that term has been hijacked, um, by something and we need to take it back as men. We need to take back the term gentleman's club anyway, because, uh, that, that has nothing to, the, you know, the modern in, you know, the meaning of it has nothing to do with gentlemen. Right. So, and I'm just thinking, but what you guys have here is a a club of like-minded people that, I shouldn't say like-minded, like-minded in that they share a, a passion for the a hobby of historical miniature wargaming. And yet... They come from all different backgrounds and under that banner they come together and then they enjoy each other's company and something that they enjoy doing and it becomes this incredible place and like you just said, Greg, those things don't exist much anymore. Yeah, BFW, sure, I can walk into a BFW anytime and someone will probably buy me a drink, hey, you know, Um, but it's not, it doesn't have that same feeling and frankly… Um, it, the weird thing for me is, yeah, I spent 24 years in the Marine Corps, but I don't feel like that is who I am, and I wouldn't go to a VFW and feel like I'm probably among people that are, have some kind of shared passion for what I do. I, I, I don't know this. What you have is is exactly that. And my my gosh, you you, you mentioned it yourself, Tony. You've cultivated that carefully. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're you know, uh, standoffish. It just means that, hey, we have something here that we want to continue to be that good thing. And so there's a discernment uh, there, which is in- incredibly – there's a discrimination, dare I say. Because like, my, like Keith always says, he goes, we all discriminate, Bart. We all discriminate all the time.
2: I'd like to tell you that there's like a process – that we have, we have this formula where, you know, this checks the boxes and congratulations and nominate, you're a member. Yeah. Uh, there's no such thing. We have a process. You, where- you
0: know what? Don't tell me. Let me interrupt. Of course there's not, because if there was, you wouldn't get it right. You, you guys That's understand true. what
2: you're looking for. Sorry. I, I had no, to say that. Uh, it's no. like, obviously there's not going to be that. Um, I think basically, if I'm understanding it after some number of years, um, people see us, they find us, there's a website for our club, they message us, uh, generally speaking, Greg and I are the people responding to all the emails, somebody will message all the emails, the five emails, Um, somebody will say, hey, I heard about your club, and I'm interested in... In coming to join you and I send them what is now almost a form letter um, how did you find us what do you know about war gaming tell us a little about yourself and here's a little blurb that's about us and yeah stop by on a Monday night and we'll play some stuff and you know there's some people who have shown up and'm like oh that guy's a guy and <laughs> And that's that. And there are other people that were like, oh, that's somebody that we want in our... Back when we were still at the comic store, um, Ed stopped by one night. I was running a Battle of Dogger Bank, which I don't know if you're familiar with. No. Uh, World War no, as a matter of fact, I was running Coronel. Coronel was a World War I naval battle off the coast of South America, off the uh, western coast of South America in 1914. I was running this battle on the table and this gentleman stopped in and he was super enthused about the fact that not only were we doing historical war game, but it was a world war one naval action and I chatted it up a little bit and Hey, stop by some night and it was a long period of time. And then finally ed got back to us and he was interested and he came out and played a couple of games with us and we got this space and ed is a regular part of our club and probably one of the finest human beings i've ever met um and it was just by sheer dumb luck like i said there's no process we're like that guy seems cool. Should we invite him? Sure. Let's see what happens. Don't get me wrong. There have been times where like, that guy seems cool. And then at some point, there's a group of us in the parking lot after hours going, what the hell were we thinking? (laughs) You're you're bringing a tear to my eye here, Tony. This
0: whole thing, both you guys, I just this 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 is exactly why I wanted to talk to you because I'm sitting here going, you at at the core, why I'm sucked into your channel is that you've built something that seems so genuine and so uh, exactly what you said, Greg. Lost in today's world, and so many of us are yearning for that. Of course, you know me and Keith, and we have friends. We get together, um, uh, but it's not it, it. it's not this, you know, I, we don't have a, a clubhouse. We just, you know, get together now and again. But th- th- this is something that you've built. And so when you're talking about that, you know, like the guy comes in he, and you just mentioned, he's like, uh, not only was he enthusiastic, he was like, wow, World War I naval action off of what, South America. Look, I'm not familiar at all. And I have a piece of paper from Penn state that says I've got some kind of history background. So
1: we won't hold uh, that. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I uh, and I still like world war one is a blind spot and world war one. Naval battles would absolutely, I would not know anything about. And,
2: and that's a little niche that I'm kind it, of, I mean, yeah,
0: that's, oh. that's Nietzsche by the way. That's uh but that's not the, to be confused with Nietzsche, but that's the cool thing about yes.
1: having a historical war gaming club is that, you know, World War One's a huge blind spot yeah. for me. Well, at least it was 10 years ago. Yeah. But after hanging out with Tony and some of the other guys here who they will bring those games in and set them up and you, you find yourself learning so much about it. Whereas there are periods that I consider myself more of an expert in. And everybody here has an open mind. You know, if, if you bring in the miniatures and you bring in the game... Yeah. Damn sure somebody's willing to play in that game no matter what they know about it. And that is part of the intellectual sort of satisfaction that you get out of coming here, talking about history, playing the game. The game is just the gateway. The game is just what gets people in the door. Yes,
0: that's
1: it. Uh, That's only half of what happens here. And everyone here does love playing the game, don't get me wrong. You come for the game, but you stay to have a meaningful conversation yes. that happens after the game that usually is directly related to it. World War I, great example. It would be not uncommon at the end of a World War I game for us to talk about the Syrian conflict, because why the hell does Syria even exist today? Because the British and French carved it out, out of the Ottoman Empire at the end of World War One. So there's a natural segue to current events from virtually every historical game that happens here.
0: Yes, that's exactly it. Um, so and I, I got to tell you Greg when you say that kind of stuff I, I I'm, and again I'm not trying to blow smoke up your kilt here but but it's coming across in your channel and what you guys are doing it really is coming across it, it, to me um, when I'm watching it I'm like these guys I, I can just tell that what they're doing is genuine um, and it's approachable and let me say this by the way So since I started watching your channel I've actually gotten a whole bunch of recommendations for other miniature wargaming stuff that's going on on YouTube and I've clicked on a couple, and I cannot watch them. I cannot watch them, guys. It, is, it's, it's, it comes across as boring. It comes across as stale. I'm thinking to myself, okay, these guys are not doing the exact same thing. They are playing the game. There is that hobby, right? I can see that they're doing it and they probably really enjoy it, but they aren't doing what you guys are doing, which goes well beyond, like you just said, Greg, the game, there's something else here that you guys have built. And, and that was what really appealed to me. And, and I, so again, it's coming across in your videos like, and, and, and that's what I really love. And I think that's probably because you guys are getting pretty good view clicks. Uh, It
2: seems right now. And it's funny that you mention that because apparently... By the way, keep going, Tony, because it's time for another scotch for me. I'm going to get up. All right. Um, At some point or another, I'm looking on YouTube, and I'm looking for videos about wargaming. I'm looking for, is there a video with some tutorial on how to paint a miniature or build some scenery? Is there a review of a rule set? And there's a ton of stuff out there. YouTube is polluted with wargaming content, but nothing, everything was filmed with somebody's iPhone in their hand while they're doing it with zero editing and zero (laughs) scripting. And I said to Greg, you know, I'm looking for this and I'm not finding it. And it's all like just pistol whipped kind of put together. And Greg says to me, you know, I've been pitching this idea with some people for a TV show and I don't know if it's gonna work out. But Greg, you really are
0: the visionary here, man. I love <laughs>
2: <laughs> Greg puts the rest of us to shame. We're like How is that? Uh, It's always good to have someone who does that work where you're like, yeah, man, come along. (laughs) I'm (laughs) going to, I'm going to segue here momentarily. Um, it was, I don't know, 2002 ish when I found this group. And at that point it was Keith and Chow and probably Dave and Greg. But the, the caveat here is Greg was not old enough to drive. (laughs) Greg's father would drop him off with a, the us group of older. Uh, let that's not go there. But Greg would war game, and at some point or another, you know, Greg was in high school. Greg was in college. Greg wrote a novel at some point. Probably what you were in high school. Yeah, Greg wrote a novel, and we're all like, "Who is this?" Kid, for lack of a better word, young go-getter, who has, go-getter. <laughs> yeah, who has uh, all these ideas and is making them happen. I'm, I'm, where did I screw up in my life? But that aside, you know, Greg had said to me, "Wow, well, I'm thinking of this idea of a TV show, like a reality TV show about war gaming, and if I can't pitch that, I'm thinking of a YouTube channel." And we're like. You know, if you scripted something, if you actually took ten minutes, because once you figure out how, it takes no time at all to write a script. For we already know what we're going to do. I, I know how to play a war game. I know how to paint a miniature. So, all right, let me think about how I would describe that to somebody else and put it on paper. And now, when we shoot this video of somebody painting a miniature or playing a war game, we're gonna we're gonna do it according to the script and and there it was and the cha- that uh, that concept of there's already a bunch of that out there but we're going to take that and we're going to do it in a way that's uh, there's nobody professional working on this I'll be honest you know we might look polished but that's all smoke and mirrors but the idea that we're at least going to try and do it in a way that i don't believe imagined. it by the
0: way it's not smoke and mirrors
2: no we we just imagined that this is how professionals would do it they would have some screenshots and some angles and they would have a script and and we already have a bunch of idiots and a bottle of scotch so we're three quarters of the way there to a video
1: yeah, I mean, you you went down and you saw the basement where we film a lot of this stuff. I mean, we've got these like ghetto Walmart, you know, floor lights that are down there. There's, yeah, you know, we're we're filming everything with a DSLR camera. The the point is that the the equipment. I think when when people think about content production, and you know, you're into podcasting, so you're in this world. For people who are listening to this, who are thinking about maybe some you know being a content producer, people get hung up on the gear. Yep, they get hung up on the equipment. Oh, well, you know, I've got this great idea, but oh, you know, I can't do it until I've got this $2,000 camera. That's a bunch of bullshit. The truth is that, you know, one of the videos that we did put up on YouTube was filmed with my iPad, and that's okay, it's 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 the scripting, the writing, it's the rest of it, it's the content that matters, the actual gear that you're using. I mean, we have nothing professional here. I'm I'm talking into one of your very professional looking. Isn't mics it funny? Right no,
0: you're you're saying all this, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, is that thing gonna hold up? It's the first time I've used that piece of
1: gear. I oh, don't know. This, <laughs> this is, is way fancier than what Tony and I are <laughs> I, yeah, I think it looks
0: kind of ghetto, but it's working right now. It's, so
1: it's it's working great. But the point is that the gear is secondary, and I think a lot of people get hung up on that as a as a barrier to entry. And it shouldn't be. The content is king. The content and the vision are what matter. And you can make that happen with the crappiest gear available as long as you put in the effort. I think we've proved that. You absolutely have. Another amen
0: to uh, Greg here. And uh, again, um, yeah, the. the I, I got to get more into the visionary and what is uh, what drives you because you're, Tony. You said it right. It's like, hey, we got this young go getter here. Uh, okay, yeah, well, yeah. Let let's follow that. That sounds like a great idea, man. I,
1: <laughs> there's, you know what? I mean, we're joking about it, but there's there's nothing special about it. Lots of people have ideas. All you got to you you love talking to people, and that's what you do on your podcast. Yeah. You can talk to anybody. Everybody has ideas. The problem is that most people aren't willing to do jack shit about their ideas because it's, it's too big, it's too hard, I'm too busy. The idea generation is easy. It's figuring out yep. how to carve out the time to execute those ideas yeah. that matters.
0: And having the passion to do it, too. Absolutely. right? Like, you know, you can have an idea, but maybe you're just lukewarm about it. Or, 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 And then, let's face it, some people just aren't that person. That's fine. I mean, if everybody was trying to be a content producer, the world wouldn't work, right? So uh, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, but um, this
1: podcast you're doing right yeah. now, I mean, you know, this didn't materialize out of thin air. I mean, you, you had to decide that that's you right. were going to dedicate yourself yep. to producing this, to driving out here to interview oh. us, everything that goes into that. There are lots of I there are lots of people who talk about, you know, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Okay, well, you're going to get off your couch and do it. It's actually not that difficult. You just have to be driven enough to do it, which is something that you decided a year ago, you know what? I'm going to do this.
0: Man, you hit the nail on the head. So, before I so I I, I want to talk about something you just mentioned a minute ago, Tony. Um uh but I can't I can't take a sip of this Dalwini 15 that you've brought along without <laughs> another cheers. So, yes, let's uh, cheers to that. Cheers. Um, so man, so much in what you guys just said, going back, let me, let me, let me say this. So you, you started talking about the other, the content that's out there on this hobby, Tony, that you were looking around for and you're like, Hey, it's just, it's, it's poorly shot. It's blah, blah. Okay. So like you were saying, Greg, these, these people decided, Hey, I'm going to put content out there. Right. And and they're doing it. So kudos to them. Right. If you're, if you're out there trying, it's like, it's like watching the, uh, uh, it's it's watch, It's like watching the hefty guy go go on the treadmill for the first time. Hey man, it <laughs> doesn't look pretty, but good on you, man. You're doing it. You're out. You're going after it, right? Uh, and hopefully, it has great results. So again, these people that are out there doing you know other historical miniature wargaming type uh, channels, just as an example, this hobby is an example. Uh, they're out there doing it. it. They're not quite getting it right in my in my mind um, because I haven't found anything like your channel where I. Where I literally was going to watch the whole, even one whole episode, whereas I've been watched binge watched every one of your uh, channels episodes. So something about what you're doing is right. Let me put. Let me ask this, guys. So here's the one thing that I keep seeing. uh, Now that I'm, I'm kind of loving what you guys are doing, and I've looked at other people doing this hobby. I'm like. Man, okay, so your video is an hour and a half long. It's shot, you know, on one angle on a table. Um most of the time I can't see your face. Uh everything you're, you're actually you're literally showing me how you're checking tables and, and it's like what you what you guys do is you you set it up and then your videos are somewhere in the 30-40 minute range, maybe a little bit longer, but but it, you, you you're not showing Everything you've done from it, it basically you show 40 minutes of what I imagine is an entire night of gaming and you edit it to a way in a way that makes it feel like the action is kind of moving along. Plus, and this is the important thing is you guys go and sit on that couch down there in the middle of it all going, you know, and, and then Robert E. Lee, uh, whoever's playing him, right, goes, it's it's not going well for our boys, you know, <laughs> You guys, it's like a little bit of role play. It's just fun. It's uh, the magic yep there it is that's it exactly is. it
2: the magic of editing has
1: totally suckered him in on this
0: it, well that's that's it you it, it's edited but it's edited in,
1: in a good way so you you hit on two things there that are both really important. they are they're the two most important differentiators for our channel. Um, one is the time. It takes about four to five hours to play an advanced war game. Who in their right mind is gonna sit there? for four to five hours to watch a game. Who in their right mind is going to sit there for one hour on YouTube to watch somebody's game? People's attention spans are really, really short. And our videos are generally between 20 and 30 minutes, and I think we're pushing it. I don't think that people are interested in more than 20 to 30 minutes of watching these. The second one that you hit on, this is what everybody else gets wrong in our field making content, people don't realize that when somebody clicks to watch a war game, they're only partly interested in the war game. What they're really interested in hearing about are the strategies of the players. The fact that you're moving your troops from point A to point B means nothing to me unless I can hear a person, and preferably see that person's face, telling me, here's why, instead of ordering Longstreet to attack Little Round Top, I'm instead going to order Longstreet to swing around, you know, to the left to support Yule at Culp's Hill. I... I... I think about what would I want to watch if I were clicking on somebody's video. I want to hear the players telling me their strategies. And that's just something that I never saw on YouTube before we started our channel. And even now, we're, you know, a year and a half in, I'm actually starting to see more people make content like we are, but still not quite getting that formula, not appreciating what you appreciated, that people are just as important, if not more important, than the miniatures. That's exactly
0: it. You don't really care about the nuts and bolts. Even if you, even if you're into the hobby, you don't want to. I, I get it. I, you know, I can do that. I, I got. I can break out a ruler and measure something. What you really want to see is the people and and hear what they're thinking. Like you just said, and if if those people have a great personality, then man, all of a sudden now you're really, now this is fun. Now you're sitting down and watching and you're right, Greg, by the way, that's a great point. Content on YouTube is different than content in say the podcasting world. This is why people will tune into, uh, Sam Harris or Joe Rogan for three hour conversations because they're starved for those great conversations that you're not going to get on, you know, the five minute yelling battle on CNN. Right. But on YouTube, it's a different thing. Very few people are going to tune in and watch something for an hour or more, unless it's something that is is absolutely—you know, actually sort of a pro- professionally done, one-off type thing.
1: Different platforms have different expectations. Yeah, yep. I mean, you, you mentioned the podcasting angle that's clearly totally different. Now, when we started Little Wars TV, we actually did have a little bit of an internal debate over whether we were going to start this on YouTube Or, at that time, a year and a half ago, I don't know if you recall this, but Facebook video was just coming out. And there was lots of buzz about how big Facebook video was going to be. This was going to be the new greatest thing. Facebook what? Exactly. Facebook what? Uh, Yeah, we can say that now. But a year and a half ago, there was a very real discussion about how if you were starting new video... Maybe you didn't want to be on YouTube. Maybe you wanted to be on Facebook video. And what tipped the scales for us, the reason we didn't do that, to your point, is that if you looked at the data on the watch time, the expectations people had on Facebook. People watch Facebook video for an average of less than 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. It's actually closer to 30 seconds. But viewing sessions on YouTube are are significantly longer, a lot less than a podcast, but significantly longer. And so that's how we knew, well, for now anyway, let's stick to YouTube because the expectation when you go to YouTube is that you're going to be on there for more than 60 seconds. (laughs)
0: What a great point! The so the different platforms right now, and it and I, I you know, want to come back to this too because, um, you know, YouTube is obviously embroiled in some bit of controversy right now. As are all the platforms, and we're all uh, as a society trying to figure out what these platforms mean to us in terms of the, the public square and all this. But you know, even the fact that you guys are, are called Little Wars TV might downrank you a little bit just because the word war is in there and 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 maybe i'll get your take on that because i'm sure you guys are are probably someone's probably trying to look at the algorithms at least um but but the title's so great because little wars tv correct me if i'm wrong by the way i try to do uh, again i'm uh, um just in a little bit of research uh little wars tv is it is it a reference to the hg wells it book? is indeed okay
2: um H.G. Wells is credited uh, with bringing the idea of wargaming, which was originally something from the Prussian general staff. Um, H.G. Wells brought wargaming to the masses, as it were. I guess the masses is not the correct term. But the notion that wargaming was a civilian pursuit was a result of H.G. Wells, and that's Greg's homage to, to his effort
0: yeah i read- i read uh, about his book um obviously h g wells brilliant um and celebrated uh, author uh english author um but little worse uh, is something that most people wouldn't know about uh in terms of his lexicon uh and i read about that and i just got the feeling that h g wells was probably a lot like us in and that he was probably Playing with uh, with soldiers in his parents' flower
1: beds. It's great. Um, you, if you go online, I don't know if you've done this, and anybody listening, I encourage them to Google H.G. Wells wargaming and click on Google Images. There are black and white photos. I mean, he published Little Wars in 1913, right before World War One, and there are black and white photos of him and his friends playing with toy soldiers. They would play outside in the grass. And he's in, and they're wearing full suits because I mean it's 1913 yeah, yeah, and, he's, and he's a gentleman. Yes, uh, you know, see, and they're wearing full suits. See, it's a gentleman's club. It is. <laughs> yeah, back then it was. Yeah, uh, would be pushing to call us gentlemen, but these guys are laying around in full suits in the grass playing with toy soldiers, and there there are photos of of them doing this and. Uh, I just think it's so cool, and he—he he is, as Tony said, he's—he's he's the guy who started it, who made wargaming something that was not just a um, a military staff pursuit, but was a game, a game for people to play in their spare time. Yeah,
0: um, and and I I think that the the idea it that maybe the gaming the, the historical miniature wargaming hobby isn't as big, um, with, uh, you know, with the adult population, but I think that most at least boys and and probably some measure of girls too although i did talk about that with my wife after your your latest video and we'll get to that but um, but you you probably had to have played with your your toy army men when you were little and Absolutely. and enjoyed it right and of so uh, there's definitely those um like myself who uh, you know yeah okay i at a certain point, it was more about wrestling and girls. Uh, that was my thing, and I wasn't going to be caught dead with that. But 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 it stayed with me. It stayed with me. And so as you know, as you go go past that and you go out in the world, you kind of think back. Man, I had fun playing with my toy soldiers out in the flower bed. And this is a way to do that, but in a way that is um, you know that's got structure and has more adult appeal, and that you're still kind of entering that. It's not a fantasy realm, but it's, uh, you're entering that realm where you get to kind of push things around and imagine that you are that uh, heroic general or, uh, or sergeant or whatever and, and take that on. Um, and I, I brought a book, by the way, guys. It's so funny. So I had this when I was real little. Um, <laughs> Trenton uh, there was there, I, I bought this online because wow. when I was young, I went to Our Lady of Victory Catholic School over in state College, and uh, here, you got to look at this so yeah let 's uh, see uh, that the um, and there was a series of books there were three of them that they had in the school library then, and they were it was Trenton and Gettysburg, and the other one was the Battle of the Bulge and they, they were these books and they they wrote about the the battle, but the pictures are all toy soldiers yeah, they're all, miniatures. and when I was little i Checked them out on a rotating basis, so that sure. my mom and dad were like, "Stop bringing home the same book." But I was like, "I can't; they're awesome." And so I actually found that on eBay and bought it. Reese, I couldn't find the other two that I. How did you not end up a game? Yeah, well, no, that's the thing. What, what like, went wrong in your life? Uh, you know, what
1: are you like a long lost cousin of ours uh, again, or something? Again, I mean, you it, ought to be here.
0: But yeah, I, I, you're right. Exactly, Greg. These are the kind of things that I hung on to, and it's it's the reason that your channel spoke to me. I think so much because I was like. Oh my gosh! Look at this. This looks so much fun, uh, and it and it reminded me of being little again. Only you know not, and and so anyway, I brought that book because I bought it on eBay simply because it had a memory for
2: me, and oh, I'm, you I'm still searching. Totally missed the boat here, and I'm looking through the book. Yeah, and on the first page in the credits, they even <laughs> mention the Historical Miniature Gaming Club. That <laughs> I I don't know how you missed that as. I'll chalk it up to childhood
0: well yeah and, and when I was young all I did was kind of look at the pictures and, and half-heartedly read the the, the the text but really I was looking at the pictures and I was like wow that's the how same cool. way I was with playboy so yeah well yeah that's, that's another thing altogether but you're right it's it's one of those things where that, that, that kind of childhood thing and you, Greg, I I this is exactly what you just said is exactly what I'm saying it's like yeah I, I would do this in a heartbeat because that's why I'm watching your videos, and why I started clicking on others, and, and why I think that other people aren't putting out content that is, uh, that is as good. So, um, but yeah, I, and so I had the, that book, and I'm I'm looking for the other two. There was a Gettysburg one, which was really my favorite one because again, Gettysburg is just such a great battle. But you guys have been together for this club has been it's almost twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20, and twenty years almost. And the, but the channel's only two years old. That's right. So you um, and, and Greg, I, this was all your, this was your baby, right? I,
1: I guess the idea was my baby, yeah. but it did take another member of the club to really nudge me along. i have okay. seen him in a lot of videos, Steve. Um, and Steve really is the one who sort of kicked me in the ass and said, hey, listen, you know, are we, we going to do this thing? Uh, and, and we did. Yeah. And we started. Yep.
0: So did you, when you first started, talk me through that day. Like, you got a camera, I mean, with an iPad, or did you have the DSLR? What happened?
1: We had made two videos earlier that weren't posted on Little Wars TV. They were posted on a personal YouTube channel I had just for, you know, shits and giggles, you know, like travel videos and bullshit. Uh, And we posted a Gettysburg battle that we did many, many years ago. And then we also posted a battle of Second Manassas that I completely filmed and edited, by the way, on an iPad. So that, that was a pretty ghetto operation, but it, it turned out well. And those really were, those were proofs of concept. The videos turned out great, and I think that sort of was a training ground. Like, okay, well, maybe we could replicate that and do a little better. And Steve is the one who sort of gave me that kick and said, all right, well, let's, let's do this thing. And we, we decided we, we were going to do ten. We're going to do 10 of them, and we decided, in hindsight, this is a great decision. We're going to do all 10 and film everything before we even launch the channel. Let's just make sure that we have all this content ready to go. We could probably film 10 of these things in, you know, whatever, six, eight months. Ended up taking well over a year, by the way. Uh, and we, we had them all in the can in various stages of editing when we launched the channel, and it was like, Boom, boom, we're launching multiple videos every week. We, blew, we It was going to be 10 videos, turned out to be a total of over 70 videos that came out in a six-month span. It was, a, it was actually a really good content release strategy. We didn't fully appreciate that at the time, but it turned out to be a brilliant strategy. The problem came after we finished all those. There was a much bigger reception than we expected. I mean, we literally thought maybe these vid- videos get like 1,000 views apiece. We ended up you know, reaching far more people than we thought, and we had a pretty good time doing it, and we thought, well, wait a minute. We had no plan to continue. We had no idea what was going to happen after that. It was just we were going to make 10 videos and be done. That turned into 70 videos, and well, then we'll definitely be done. And then we kind of decided we wanted to continue, and you are talking to us right now when we are partway through our completely unexpected second season, which was not planned out with the same... Uh, timeline as season one because we weren't going to be able to wait what two more years of content production before we release more videos
0: yeah and and now you have guys like me that are uh uh, waiting on the edge of their seat for the next
2: uh, (laughs) for the next release (laughs) well uh, and there's something that's been an issue in that as greg said There was two years of filming and editing before season one was released. And now here we are, season two. Well, season two is happening kind of in real time in terms of shooting stuff and releasing stuff. And not that the whole process wasn't problem-free from day one, but now that we're into season two... There are some issues with, there's some issues with the channel and the club in that. There's been I, I don't know that it's been contention, but there's been some friction in that. Are we a wargaming club who has a YouTube channel? Are we a totally. YouTube channel that occasionally totally. does war games? Yep. You know, and
0: uh, totally changes the dynamic of this thing that started. Much. Almost 20 years ago. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, it's created some
1: unexpected pressures here yes. for, for sure. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, because we didn't have a whole lot of planning for season two, yeah, uh, we sort of just like launched into it without maybe really having the kind of discussion internally here. Just like getting guys together, yep. maybe for a glass of scotch and saying, OK, what's going to happen? Uh, and, and and unfortunately, we've run into the circumstance where, you know, some filming of bits of this might happen on a Monday night, which is our normal gaming night. And now that's disrupting what is supposed to be, as you called it, the gentleman's club of guys just, you know, having getting fun together. and getting together. And all of a sudden now there's filming involved. Yeah. And, and even though this, this is not a business, you know, no one's making money here, in a way it kind of becomes like its own thing. It, it sort of is a non-money-making yes. business. Yes, no. And there are real pressures there. Great. You know what? You're we running into something that
0: me and Chunks talked about um, offline, which is, so we have these great, uh, you know, booze-fueled conversations all the time, and, and that's what sparked our, uh, our our desire to have a podcast. So now are they the exact same thing? Are, are we doing the exact same thing when the mic's on and we're in a studio somewhere? Is it the same? I think we're doing okay. Like me and Chuck, I, I, you know, usually when we're done, we look at each other, I go, well, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what we do, right? That's it, you know, uh, only with less less uh, booze. But, um, but yeah, it, how can it not be a little bit different, right? And that's, that's got to be a challenge. If you guys even, and maybe I'm putting you on the spot by asking, have you thought about where it goes now? How does that, how do you oh, do that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I know, there have been any number of parking lot discussions, as it were, at the end of the night. and like Greg and I have had some. Parking
0: one. lot discussions are a great thing no matter. I, like, everybody knows what you just meant. It's
2: awesome. <laughs> right, you know, and we're standing out there. It's cold, it's yes. raining. Because these discussions never happen in July when it's 75 <laughs> at 10 p.m. No. No, we're out there in November when we're being snowed on. But we've had these discussions about How is this impacting the club? What do we do to organize for season three? We haven't, there's no hard answers. I don't know that there's right answers, but there's been some conversation and there needs to be conversation about how do we compartmentalize what we do here? Because the videos, uh, Greg and Steve have been very good about tempering we have to have the right mix for audience appeal versus we want to include as many members of the club as possible and combine that with some members of the club are reluctant to be in front of the camera. They've been very good at, at sorting all of that out, but there are those moments where, you know, is this interfering with what we're doing on Monday nights? The thing that we all came together to do play war games, how is the channel impacting that? And what do we do if there's going to be a season three, a season four, because I don't know if there'll be a season three, season four, but if there is, I've got a shit ton of ideas lined up that I'd like to throw on that. I've got miniatures painted that, Oh, we could totally do this or that. So there's this ongoing conversation. The whole channel is constantly in a state of flux as we discuss what will happen next and how will that happen and who will make that happen. So, you know, the future is out there. The future is not clearly defined. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but I don't think the future is clearly defined. I think there's definitely a potential for for more of what we're doing.
0: You know what this reminds me of is um, uh, like the gar- the garage band that all of a sudden breaks out <laughs> and you know, like, hey man, we're just making good rock and roll. You're you're becoming someone that I don't
1: know, man. <laughs> yes. you're, you're laughing. You know, so I, I
0: know that's it. But because I can see it, I'm like, yeah. Look, this is taking on something different now, and there's, uh, it's,
1: you- it's pulling us away a little bit yes. from the reason that yes, we started. this exactly. And the channel is not as important, as fun as it is. And yep. a lot of guys have had a great time with it, as cool as it is. It's not nearly as important as what we do here on Monday night. As yep. long as I get my own trailer, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> right, you know. T- Tony's always looking to be pampered on set. Unfortunately, no one's making any money yet. So, it's...
0: Uh, dude, yeah, that's the uh, what? Are they, what is it? The star of the blue room? What? 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 The green room. The green yeah, room, yeah, right, 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 right? The green room. Right. See, I'm not a uh, uh, yeah. yeah T- Tony demands all the blue eminence. M&M got his own. Speed. He's got to have his own trailer. Lookers and blow. <laughs> exactly. So, what was I say about Gentlemen's Club? Um, yeah. So I, I can I totally get that, guys. And, it, and it's really, um, you know, it's funny. So as a, as a fan, of course, I'm I'm hoping you guys keep doing it. On the other hand, I'm like, no, no, it's so good. Don't it's it's like it's like when Van Halen breaks up, and you're like, no, 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 don't you know, go back to where you were. You know. I, I think and, the
1: good news is that the best news in my mind is yeah. that we've we've all sort of identified that this is a problem. Yeah. And that's the most important. Yes, yeah. one. Everyone's on the same page yep. that, hey, look, if, if this continues, and we'd all like it to continue, I think, in some capacity, yep. if it continues, there will have to be changes. Yep. And then it's just a question of figuring out how we're gonna make it happen. There's
0: gotta be there's gotta be those nights where there are no cameras rolling and you guys are doing what you always did. And, and, and separating that. And, uh, man, I, yeah. Because, I, I, frankly, if you guys said, hey, we're not doing this ever again um, because we, we love our war game club, and we're, I it, I would be like, ah, it's a bummer. I don't get to watch Little Wars TV. On the other hand, I would, I would go to bed smiling, going, yeah, those guys are having great Monday nights, man, talking well, to each other and drinking scotch.
2: And I think one of the other things that enters into the decision about how a potential season three happens is that As Greg said, there's no money in this. We're not. All of us have real jobs Monday through Friday. Blah blah blah. Um, We're all in relationships. Greg's married. I have a girlfriend. Everybody is. Everybody in the club has a spouse or significant other, and potentially some. Some of us have children. Yeah, you mean you're normal people with normal lives and all the all the challenges that go with that. Yeah, of course. Right. So you know, at some point or another, not only does The whole channel thing potentially creates some friction in the club, but you know I've devoted some time to this, but nothing compared to the vast blocks of time that Greg and Steve have given to the channel. And at some point or another, I'm sure all of us. My girlfriend is the probably the finest human being I'll ever have the pleasure to know. But you know, at some point or another, I'm going to be like, oh. Uh, Saturday instead of doing yard work, I'm going to go do this thing with my friends, and I'm going to get an eye roll. I, I know that somewhere on the horizon that's going to happen, and I'm sure Greg has thought to himself, "Well, have I spent?" It doesn't all my- really
0: matter what you do, Tony. You're going to get an eye roll.
2: <laughs> no, I, I,
0: if, if it's anything like m- me, uh, hey babe, no, love it,
2: you. It, you no, <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've had. I'll be honest. I've had two failed marriages, um, but that now i'm in a place you're getting there man right i'm getting getting better all the time brother i love it (laughs) so now i'm in a i'm in a relationship that seems to be working in part because we're not married um but all of us have been in that situation where we think to ourselves you know i'm putting some unneeded stress on uh, on my partner here in this whole thing and we need to figure out in addition to how we make this work with the club and what we all came together and fell in love with, but also how we make this work with our work lives and our family lives. And so there's a lot of stuff to hammer out before we, and I don't know that it'll ever be, here's the, here's the way, the one true way. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but I think everybody at this point recognizes that the whole situation creates a whole new level of complexity to all our lives for those of us involved. And we have to figure out a way to make that as minimal impact on our lives as possible. If we're going to keep doing this.
0: So just as a personal story and you guys, I'll bore you with this, but um, you know, I, I, when I retired and I went to work for that as a mercenary pilot out there, I, I, I came home after a couple of rotations and I was like, Hey babe, you know, I'm done. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And she's like, Oh, Okay, what are you going to do? I was like, well, I think I'm going to Take a sabbatical. She's looking at me like you're gonna you're gonna what? And I'm like, yeah. How, how much will the sabbatical pay? This is exactly where I'm going, Greg, because that is exactly what happened. I was like, I well,
2: totally love to put mercenary pilot yeah, on right. business card. <laughs> yeah,
1: that'd be a great resume line. Is it a cool? Uh, it's
0: right. a, it's a great thing to put down, and I fully know that I am absolutely not badass in that way. But it sounds cool and sounds uh, badass to uh, and me, and it's a, and it's accurate. But it's uh, <laughs> yeah. So I um. So I told her, I was like, "Look, I, I just I, I've been working, you know, twenty four years in the Marine Corps. Um, my my dad passed away right as I retired, um, mm-hmm. and so huge turning point in my life. And I and I go right back out there, and I'm leaving my kids, you know, for for months at a time to go back out to the Euphrates River Valley and, and do what I was doing. And I'm like, I can't do this. This is this is really silly. Doesn't matter how much they're paying me. And so I told her, Hey, I'm not gonna. I, I'm just I'm just done, and I'm I'm gonna take a sabbatical. And she's like, What are you gonna do? I was like, Well, I thought I'd put my journalism degree to use and do some writing and and maybe start a podcast. And she's like, "Yeah, how how much is that gonna make us?" And I was <laughs> Approximately like, "Approximately zero dollars. Actually, negative numbers probably is what negative, I told her." I was like, like, "Well, it'll probably actually cost us some money." Uh, <laughs> and she couldn't believe it. And and guys, I'll tell you, it's it's actually you know I'm a pilot by profession, and it's a good time to be a pilot right now. Um, I, you know the economy's good, everything's been going pretty well, and and so just in telling a couple of buddies that I was leaving. Uh, the, the phone started ringing and guys were like, Hey Bart, I, I heard you're leaving, man. I, you, you want a job? You're hired right now. Come on down. So I got these job offers, flying job offers, and I was turning them down and my wife was looking at me kind of funny. Uh, but, but I, I really, truly was like, no, I'm done. I'm, I, it, you know, flying wasn't my passion. It still isn't really. Um, you know, I, I joined the Marine Corps. I became a pilot because of the Marine Corps and, and, you know, frankly flying for, delta you know i don't have a 20 millimeter cannon on the front of my aircraft anymore and so i was like yeah no this isn't really kind of what i you know i want to do but that what you're talking about there that if balancing delta
2: about the cannon so yeah right if dominating. they
0: could do that can i yeah
2: <laughs>
0: let's i'm gonna as a matter of fact if i'm gonna do that i'm gonna ask for the 30 millimeter i'm gonna ask for the uh the a10 uh <laughs> if i want and i want my my call sign on the side too um but yeah, so I, I I get it. I'm I'm you know that balance of life and something that that makes you that brings you joy and is a passion and, and like what I'm doing right now. I get way more joy out of what I'm doing just talking with you guys than I'm doing my day job, even though I like my day job and I like the guys that are there, but it's not, you know, I don't dream about that. That's just, uh, so I did, I did end up taking a job, but I just went part-time actually so that I could have more time. And, and meanwhile, my wife who's significantly younger than me, uh, just took my GI bill and she's at Rutgers right now getting a master's. So I'm like, yeah, babe, go man, go.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. I mean, talking about dream jobs and I, I think it's, it's the unfortunate reality for most of us aren't in our dream jobs and most people never will be. And that is why I think that, uh, that this club in a way has, has grown and been so successful because for, for everybody who's not in their dream job, it's nice to have a place at least once a week where you can go and you can explore your, you know, whatever gets you excited, whatever your passion is. And, And for me, it's military history and war gaming and scotch and, You know, that's not, I'm sorry, that's not a paying job. (laughs) And I realize that that isn't a paying job. So I'm going to come here on Monday night and I'm going to have that, that refuge and that, that place to go. And uh, it's really nice. It's really nice to have that. I, 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 I'm being totally honest when I say that I wake up every Monday morning, really excited that it's Monday because I know that Monday night, I'm going to get to come and do this for three hours. It is the highlight of my week.
0: So not only you just you just said, you said it's nice to have that, and of course it is. Uh, it's almost um, it's almost essential to have that. So one of the big things that I that I love uh, studying, and I listen to podcast after podcast uh, from anyone who studies uh, personal fulfillment or happiness, basically, because uh, it's one of those things that I, I I'm always curious about because. I, I don't know maybe because I'm always thinking about that what is what does it really mean how, how do you draw the the, the life work balance the best way um you know if we all just followed our dreams you know or, you know hey do what makes you happy well then a lot of us would probably be real poor and probably society wouldn't work correctly right so how do you how do you do that in a in a in a way that's pragmatic as a matter of fact one of my first interviews was with a guy who wrote a book on that exact topic um uh coach Joe Batista um and basically, helps people to to discover, create their passionate life, but in a way that's pragmatic. But I'm always looking at that, and you just mentioned it. It's really nice to have something that you're passionate about that brings you joy, that you get to go to, and the people that study happiness, they they say it's almost it's almost essential, right? Because we we know that money does not make people happy. That's that's been pretty much. Um, uh, accepted now the data shows that money does not make you happy as a matter of fact from what I from what I've read to it's, test that theory yeah some so I was going to say so somewhere in the 70 to 90,000 range is what they say adjusted for currency rates uh, is about the sweet spot for people but yes I, I'm I, and so it doesn't stop me from every once in a while uh, playing the lottery um, even though I'm I know damn well that many people who win the lottery go right back to where they are and their happiness because it's not that, right? It's something else. And it's, it's these things. It's, it's having great discussions with people that, are, that you enjoy. It's uh, cultivating relationships with your family and loved ones. Um, and it's having a hobby or a passion that you explore outside of a vocation that, that, that brings you that, that, that grounding. Um, and then after that, it's also, and you just mentioned it again, Greg, you mentioned two things. The other thing that they talk about is learning. Continue to learn. Continue to learn. It doesn't mean you have to go back to school, but as long as you're always learning, right? But it's chicken soup for the soul, right? The last, the last quote is that 99-year-old man who says, I've learned that I still have a lot to learn, you know, at 99, and you're just, you know, you get the goosebumps like I just did. And, and then so I, all of those things are what bring us happiness. Yeah, can you make a billion dollars and be a happy person? Of course you can, uh, as long as you're doing all those other things, right? And so for, for those guys that are out there, awesome. Uh, on the other hand, if you're, if you're working harder to get past that $90,000 point, at the expense of coming here on Monday nights, then you are not going to be as happy. And uh, I just went
2: off on a real tangent right there. No, no, no. And I, you know, people say, oh, you should do what you love. And, and, you know, it sounds good. It's horseshit. Um, If I did what I loved, I would be living in a dumpster. But I've chosen to do something that I'm reasonably proficient at, And that allows me, in some small way, to do the things I love. And one of the things I love is coming here on Monday nights, pushing some miniatures around the table, having a drink with my friends. We talk about the issues of the day. We talk about history, how that impacts the issues of the day. Um, I really think that if you're focused on your job, either to the exclusion of other things, or you're focused on finding the ideal career path for you, you're missing the point. Um, if you can find a job that you're passionate about, good for you. But for the vast majority of us, you're not necessarily going to find a career path that you're passionate about. You're going to find a career path that suits what your skill set is and that you can make a decent living at. And that's pretty much the most you can ask from a career Um Put yourself in a position where you have time and or money to pursue the things that are actually going to bring you that happiness. I, at one point or another, I was working at a car dealership. I worked bell to bell six days a week. I was there from, before the bell rang, I was there from quarter of seven in the morning to eight o'clock at night. It was miserable. I had no home life. I had no family life. I made a pile of money. And I bought lots of toys and my, my then wife was like, why are you spending all this money on stuff that you don't get to enjoy? I said, because at some point or another, I will not have the money to buy these toys, but I will have the time to enjoy toys. And I'm preparing for the future. Yeah. When I reach that point where I'm not bailing money like I am right now, but I have free time, I'm going to go out to the garage and I'm going to take my fly rod I'm going to throw it in the back of my truck and I'm going to go hit a trout stream. Um, and I really think that the, the whole trying to find, uh, there's a lot of focus on finding a career, finding a work mode that makes you happy. And that's nonsense. I mean, it's great if you can do it, but don't focus on that. Focus on finding things that make you happy and then figure out how the rest of your life goes to fueling that. Yeah. Um, I, that's my two cents. What do I know?
0: Nope, that's uh, that. Uh, I would take that two cents every day. I mean, wow, this guy's got, got
1: deep as hell. here, Yeah, didn't no, it? I was going to say, uh, how we, many we, scotches have you totally, had, Tony? Uh, totally,
0: burm- totally off burm- of my, <laughs> uh, totally off of my notes uh, outline here? Which is, uh, God, I just love it when this happens. This is exactly what I love right here, guys. So we'll be talking and we get down into these deep weeds, and and I just, it, it's it's awesome because we're here talking about you know ostensibly historical miniature wargaming, and yet we're really talking. What really makes it great is. Uh, uh, the personalities, the people. So which gets me kind of back just to kind of bring it back to the channel a little bit, which is, um, you know, we're talking about how we how you make the channel work with the club and um, and how that's going to look going forward. But uh, so one of the things that, that that is great and I hope that that stays then and you do kind of navigate those waters, because here here's the thing that I think is great. And again, Differentiates you from the other content that's out there on this hobby is you guys are freaking funny, man. The 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 beginning of the uh, was it Guadalcanal the naval one where yeah. you're in the pool. I just yeah. was like, what? This is great, man. I, I would mean, say
1: ninety percent of the funny moments that you see here are scripted by Steve. Okay, Steve is well, Steve then is, Steve uh, is funny. <laughs> in another life, he would have been writing for like a sitcom or right. something because uh, Steve loves scripting some of those uh, some of those funny moments.
0: Yeah, I just love it, man. So you guys actually. act bring humor to the whole thing and uh so it and it just in a way that works uh, again well,
1: well it, on the youtube channel it's mostly clean humor no. we we've, we've actually had a lot of people uh comment that they would love to see, oh, you know, why don't you guys set up live streams or Twitch streams? Or your, your game's on a Monday night. And we're all looking at each other like, what the hell are you talking about, man? You don't want to know what happens here on a Monday night. We have a running gag. Sit, sitting behind you, Bart, is our, our Lincoln bust. It's up there on the bookshelf. And and the running gag that we have here in the club is somebody makes a... just unforgivably horrible, you know, politically incorrect comment when everybody laughs. And we say, well, turn Lincoln around. You know, he, he can't be looking at this. Uh, so th- those are the kinds of things that have to remain here in the safe confines of the club and not go on the YouTube channel. Yes,
0: and, and I hope they do. And I hope they continue to be there because I just love that idea. Obviously, there's stuff that, that uh, should not be content which probably makes uh, the group just that much better. So, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the fact that you guys are funny, and, and I guess Steve is the guy scripted, so way to go, Steve. Um, so, so that, and, and then I think, you know, what we kind of talked about earlier with the, uh, the way you guys gel with each other. Um, so that kind of brings me a little bit to, to what I wanted, that we were talking about, before, you know, in the beginning and before we even started uh, recording, which is the, the latest video, uh, which was why more oh, women you're gonna are get us
1: uh, deep hot water here, uh, yeah,
0: why more women are not in war gaming, um and I don't think we're going to get into hot water to tell you the truth, guys, because the the bottom line is it's a great topic, and one that I thought you approached And the whole video uh seemed just awesome, awesome, in a way that was uh. Um, I mean, you said, Hey, here's what we think. Here's what our numbers are. Let's get the opinion of some women out there. It was great. I watched it with my wife. I asked her, she was like, yeah. And here's, here's her response guys that, that she would say, she was like, yeah, I would probably not really be interested in wargaming uh, because there's no, there's no women in the battles. So I can't put myself, you know, she's like, I would probably be more into D and D. Because then I can play this, you know, this badass chick that that beats people up or something. I was like, totally, totally understand that. So, yeah, if you're trying to put yourself in Robert E. Lee's shoes and you happen to be
1: female, that's harder to do. Well, right there. I mean, that is one theory. And that's a really, I think, uh, strong theory for why more women aren't interested in historical wargaming. and. For all of us here in the club, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, on a purely intellectual level, let's, unfortunately, maybe we approached this a little bit naively. When we made that YouTube video, I didn't realize that, uh, well, I should have, that this is the internet and that everybody who watches this video is going to be bringing their political and cultural bullshit baggage to this, and they're not going to want to think about it in a just purely intellectual, theoretical sense. And to me... If you strip away all your baggage, it's actually a really interesting question for a number of reasons. And the one that keeps nagging at me is that we know for a fact that women are a significant, a minority, but still significant portion of the board gaming, sci-fi, fantasy, and you just mentioned role-playing sort of D&D hobby. So anybody who's got this theory that, oh, well, women just don't want to be in a competitive gaming environment, well, that's a crock of shit because we know that's not true. So if they're participating in meaningful numbers in those games, what is it about historical miniature wargaming where we have an enormous drop-off in participation? Because when you really think about it, if you strip away all the chrome and the window dressing, the historical game is almost exactly the same as the fantasy game. You know, you're playing Confederates at Gettysburg instead of playing, you know, orcs, uh, you know, at the Battle of Helm's Deep or something in Middle-earth. The game is the same, but the women are engaging in one and not in the other. And you mentioned right now one very compelling theory. I think there are, I've heard a number of theories on this. Yeah,
0: and just to be clear, was it wasn't mine. It was my wife's. Sure. Yeah. I actually... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, so it came from a woman, and uh, so, yeah.
1: Well, I heard it from several women. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly, and this is where I should have known we were walking into a minefield. When we were making the video, and I was naively producing this thing, I was asking women to be interviewed, to participate. Yeah. And the first three women that I asked... All talked to me off the record, but said, "Nah, I'm not going to go on camera for this." Weird. And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, gee, you know, th- all of them were personalities. All of them were people that were either in the media or in, in several, two of them in YouTube people who are already out there publicly. Why wouldn't they want to talk to me about this? But they very casually just said, you know, this is off the record conversation.' I was fortunate enough to find three women yeah. who are war gamers who would talk to me about it. But that immediately should have been a red flag, like, wait a minute, are we stepping into something? Because unfortunately, if you read the comments on that YouTube video, which is already the most commented video we have posted, 105 videos we've posted on YouTube, and I'm going to be honest, I moderate, I'm, I'm one of the two people that moderates our YouTube channel. I could count on one hand the number of comments that I've had to delete from the other hundred and four videos. It's very rare. I mean, occasionally you get somebody who makes some comment about Jews or gays, and you're like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm deleting this comment. But that's I can count it on one hand. We have a very good and polite audience. Yeah. And yet this video happens, and suddenly people are coming out of the woodwork to comment on this video. Overwhelmingly positive comments, caveat it there, but a shocking number of comments that were borderline or frankly despicable. And it leads to a really interesting question if you're a YouTube moderator. Politically, I'm a conservative. I believe in free speech. I believe that you can say hateful and vile things, and people can mock and ridicule you for that, but you have every right to say it. And yet, here I'm in the position of having to moderate this YouTube channel where people in some cases are saying truly vile things. And I found myself deleting Probably two dozen comments and no matter how despicable the comments were there was a part of me that hated to delete them that that I was somehow censoring these horrible people and it's a In and of itself, that's a whole separate political philosophical discussion of deleting comments
2: because I didn't get a chance to mock those idiots
0: (laughs) No, you're right. That is another conversation that could go for hours and hours It's actually a part of why we're doing what we're doing here. Greg. That's really really interesting what did you find? So obviously there's, there's probably despicable comments that were just literally, you know, the seventh grade, uh, in nature, but were there, oh, you're
2: giving w- these people more.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. State. What, uh, oh, so there were those that were just so, I mean, out there that you were probably like, okay, here come the internet trolls. Right. So one, I didn't read the comments cause I never read the comments. So like we said, before we even started this, I just don't go into YouTube comments ever. Um, I have a Twitter account for my, uh, for my, my podcast and I post my podcast and I every once in a while retweet a Stephen Pinker thing, but I never, ever go on Twitter other than that. So I stay away from these things for the most part. And I think we're all learning to stay away from that a little bit more as we go forward. But you, you've, you've hit on something here, which is exactly, um, kind of one of the issues of the day, which is, you know, we, 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 we value free speech. This is part of what sets us apart. Uh, From other parts of the world and we are proud of that and yet we we still understand that there are some things where we just don't want that in our particular sphere that is important and that's different and that's what we're trying to to battle right now because YouTube gets to say that too right in certain cases they go to go hey I don't want your video. Because we are a private organization and, and we get to they set, should, that's I, right. And certainly, they're right. That's right. And so, and we're having that public. What is the public sphere argument? And you know, who gets who gets a voice in the square? And where is the square? When the public square, you know, who cares about the guy? No one wears a sandwich board in Times Square anymore, right? The sandwich boards are online, and that's what you're you're finding out. So I'm, I'm just curious, though, what what were you finding? Was the, the, was the issue with this? Because I thought it was well done video.
2: I I had this notion when the video was being made and when I watched the video I imagined in my head based on some experiences you know I've been going to wargaming conventions for 20 odd years I had it in my head that the pushback was going to be from those gentlemen who are slightly older than I am I, I'm old enough to remember when I was in junior high all the girls were segregated and went to home ec and typing and all the boys went to wooden metal shop. And I assumed that the pushback against women in wargaming, as if that was something that needed pushback was going to be from the gentlemen who were older than I were. And that was not, it wasn't intentional, but it was just sort of that casual sexism because that's the way they were raised as it were. And so that's the way they were taught to think. In looking at the comments and in looking at the commentators, because I started by posting a response that was measured that I went over multiple times before I posted it to bordering on meet me on the playground and I'll kick your ass because some of the comments were so over the top. And what I found from looking at the comments that it wasn't those old guys. Tony, how could it be? Those guys aren't they don 't even know how to do a YouTube comment right <laughs>
0: I, this I, is a good, This is a good thing right now that you 're saying because i 'm thinking that i 'm like of course it 's not them couldn 't have been them they, they barely know what YouTube is. The fact this- that you could be a youtuber is not something in their world right we 're right on the not. cusp of it tony that you, you and i greg you 're a little bit younger and so I, 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 we 're right on the cusp of you know, trying to stay ahead. the fact oh, yeah. that we 're here talking to a microphone makes us you know, progressive for our age, they're I would say, right? Yeah. The
2: but the thing I found was that, and uh, what I'm going to say is probably going to offend, I, I don't know your audience, but it's going to offend some people out there in the ether here in this. Well, there's lots of Marines. But so. the people who took the most offense at it from what I could gather at looking at people's profiles and the things they had posted elsewhere, I, I'll be fine. They're incels their 20s and 30s. Um, they're not particularly successful in life or with the ladies. They're angry. There was a lot of anger towards women. There's this idiotic notion that somehow by having women or blacks or Jews, somehow that there will be less white jerk offs living in their parents' basement involved in the hobby. And there won't be. If you have 10 white guys, And we add four people who aren't white guys, you still have 10 white guys. And if you can't get over the fact that those four people will have a voice in your hobby, well, you know what, F you, go get another hobby. I don't need you in my hobby. I don't need to associate with those people. I was shocked that it wasn't the group that I thought it would be that would be pushing back. But it's people who are younger than I am who should friggin' know better that, you know what, You don't—it's 20—we're in the 21st century. You don't tell someone, get back in the kitchen, get back on the plantation. That's bullshit. It was bullshit 100 years ago. It's bullshit now. Let that shit go and grow up. And it just—I was really just totally annoyed
1: by that. And, you know, as Tony is unloading here, I will will say that—
0: I love this shit, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's he's not holding back here. Uh, He's not exaggerating. There were multiple comments, many of which I did not delete. The comments I deleted were mostly commenters attacking other commenters. Mm. That I deleted. If someone wanted to make a negative comment about the content of the video, I chose to leave those comments up no matter how much I disagreed with them. And there were a number of comments where people literally said... I can't believe that you're advocating, you know, less white men in the hobby. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, this video is about adding women to the hobby and somehow you made the logical jump that adding a woman to the hobby meant that there would be less white men? How is this conflated into a racial issue in your mind? But that gives you an insight. It gives you a very valuable insight into the type of person who's leaving these comments. I mean, we we did have people leaving comments about, well, what's next? Do we need more Jews in the hobby? And you're thinking, whoa, this has gone way off the rails. The people leaving these comments, as Tony said, are clearly very angry. And this has touched some kind of hot button for them that I didn't realize was even being touched.
0: Yeah, I, I am. I, I'm surprised that it went in in the ways that you're saying because I thought it would all be just misogynist sort of comments. But well, it's there gotten, were plenty of those. Well, no, oh, no, I oh, I, I know. I gathered. Um, But yeah, the fact that it's going to other, you know what, this goes back to what we were kind of saying, which is we're all in a, and and I, I said this to Keith in our last conversation, we're all in a point right now where we're looking at each other. I think the, the, you know, I think the grownups in the, in, in the room are looking at each other, trying to figure out, Hey, what, what just happened? And what I mean is what just happened over the last decade, as as these these platforms have started to become more about how we relate to each other and they they are uh facebook uh twitter uh instagram youtube all of these things are are a part of how we how we deal with each other now uh apps you know the the kids nowadays it when they when they text each other that is their way of talking you know it doesn't do anybody any good to say hey you know go down and see him or pick up a phone like i you know because frankly this they're like what do you mean this is how we talk to each other there's a new normal there's a new normal is what i keep getting at and you that normal a horse? so yeah, by the way i i couldn't do it but i could probably give it a go because i live on a horse farm and i've watched the farrier do such and you could youtube uh, it, right? and, you so, and YouTube i could video. go to youtube a show <laughs> horse. no
1: absolutely i, I guarantee that
2: video is there yeah,
0: it, it, absolutely probably millions of but them
2: like as you alluded to with the yeah. texting there are a lot of things that you know from older generations, like "oh, the kids don't know how to do that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a, we haven't taught them, and because b, it's the twenty first century. That's right, That's and not they don't a know skill yeah. they need to know. That's right. So. Well, I guess
0: that's what I'm getting at. And this is, this is great. Um, you know, so we're not actually, you know, having to go into the comments, but what we're saying is that there's this stuff out here as we're trying to have this conversation about the, what is the new normal and, and trying to kind of determine, wait, w- w- what do we all really think? Cause I think we talk by each other a lot, especially from different sides of the aisle. I consider myself an independent in a lot of ways, but I definitely am I would call myself a liberal in the classical sense. And I, and so I I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Greg. I, 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 I I have a visceral response uh, that's negative to to censorship. Right. Uh, but but at the same time, there's there's certain people that aren't contributing uh, in a meaningful way to the discussion. If it were my house, I would say, hey, I don't want you in my house, but I would not exclude them from the public sphere, obviously, in their ability to say what they want to say what is that public square and so that is that is interesting and i personally greg so if, if if i was so i'm not a commenter but i'm commenting i thought that video was awesome and me and my wife watched it together and i was like yeah i was like would you would you play when she's like you know what i would play a war, i would play a war game sure you know if you were there and she's like especially if it was with those guys so there's a hats off to you guys she's like Cause they seem real nice i'm like yeah she's like would i would i want to go into some you know Pimply Teenager's Basement do it? And I was like, no, either would I, babe. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, but so she was like, yeah, but I would rather, I would probably rather play something like a role-playing game where I could pretend to be a woman who right. kicks butt. And I'm like, yep, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I thought the video was great. And I thought that the uh, the ladies you had, uh were, were great and their responses and and super measured and loved they were, they loved were very they had very say. insightful you know and that leads me to another thing which goes way back to what you started this conversation about this greg about the uh about this video that you posted which is that people had said that you talked to some ladies offline and they said no i don't want to be on this video i've actually talked to people many times to to be on the my podcast and said hey you should come on. Let's talk. And and I've had many people say, nope, I will not do that. And it's a fear. It's they, literally it's a fear. They're saying, hey, I, I don't want my voice out there talking. You know, with my opinions about world events or whatever we happen to talk about, because someone might go back. And use it against me. And We're I'm living just, in the gotcha yeah, culture. And I'm just thinking to myself, ah, sweet, that cannot be the way. I'm pounding the table, sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, that cannot be the way forward. You, we have to have people that are actually grown-up adults that are mature saying, hey – we can ask the question. We have to ask the questions. We can talk about it reasonably without acting like there is this, you know, there's this is like new McCarthyism almost in terms of certain things. So,
1: Yeah, that being said, though, to be, to be honest, I, if, there's, if there's somebody like one of the three women that I asked to be yeah. on this who, who declined, there's a part of me that doesn't blame them. Yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. I am yep. willing to have my voice yep. out there, even though we're living in the in the gotcha culture yep. of any soundbite that you've ever said from 15 years yeah. ago can be brought up against you. But oh, good Lord. but the pressures, if, if the pressures are real, I mean, that gotcha culture is very powerful. Yep. And I don't blame people who want to step back and say, you know what, that kind of pressure isn't for me because. As you can see, even on a tiny YouTube channel like ours, I mean, 15,000 subscribers, we are a drop in the bucket. But the, the level of attention, sometimes negative attention that you can receive, if, if you're the kind of person who stews over a negative comment on the internet, eh, it's probably not for you. You've yeah. got to have a pretty thick skin sometimes.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I, think, we're, I think we're starting to figure that out. Um, I'm not looking forward to the next year. I, I mean, chunks, of, you know, he was like, should we talk about the upcoming election? I was like, I don't. I don't even want to go there, but you know maybe we should at some point. But you know, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. But I do think that we're figuring out how to – I think that 2016 uh, had us all kind of figure out a little bit that we, we all acted badly. Uh, and I, I'm already noticing, at least for me, that there's less of that going on. I don't know if that'll continue through the next year, but, but it is weird because here, this is a great hobby and you guys are having so much fun and you've got this great club and you guys are putting out content that is awesome and engaging and it's funny, but it's also compelling. And, uh, you know, guys like me are out there just binge watching every episode and it's still having nothing to do with politics really gets to be political. How in the F do we allow that to happen, you know?
2: And it's well, just too I- bad. And it's not something necessarily, I don't know, that allow to happen is the correct word. But there's, because YouTube and Facebook and Instagram have become the outlet for public expression, everything you do, whether it's our YouTube channel, your podcast, everything you do is out there for scrutiny and people are commenting about it. And while some of those people are just trolling and I'll be honest, there are some times where I will just troll stuff just because it's so over the top. Um, There is in our culture currently, I believe, and this is just my opinion, there is no room for a a centrist. There's no room for a center. Centrist has become a bad word in our culture. Um, For me to say, I don't support Trump, or I don't support Hillary, immediately, oh, I don't support Trump. Oh, then you're a supporter of Hillary. No, I can hate this idiot just as much as I hate that. I don't have to pick an imbecile. Um, and we've forgotten. I, I think that politically, our country has gone the the middle is now much smaller and the extremes at each end such, I, I hate to use that term because nothing political is, is on that linear yeah. axis that we think left and right. That's nonsense. But for sake of argument, the center has become much smaller. We have a, a, a very vocal and extremist left and a very vocal yep. and extremist right. And now being in the middle is somehow a bad, Oh, you have to pick a side. No, actually I don't. I, You two fight each other and have at it, choke the life out of each other. And those of us who want to go about our daily lives without interfering with what our neighbors are doing and demanding that somebody else solve our problems – all you people at the extremes choke each other to death and the rest of us can go about our day.
0: Yeah. I, when I feel like, and I really do feel like at least it's my sense that probably good 95% of us are in the middle <laughs> watching the extremes go both, berserk really and and i think we'll figure it out i think it might get worse before it gets better uh at least i talked to a futurist who kind of thought that he's a brilliant brilliant man and he he, he said yeah i think it might get a little bit worse before it gets better but we're gonna figure it out
1: i listened to actually part of that episode oh, wow, where good. you were talking yeah. to the the futurist oh yeah. just quick aside if anybody has not listened to your interview with the uh 94 year old uh, world oh. war ii vet uh the guy who served in the pacific i mean that was that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed. I'm so that. glad
0: you listened to that. Man. Sorry to
1: completely nope, take us off nope, track. No, that's but good. For I mean, he's the guy a treasure. Yeah, that, it's those voices are going away, yep. and I'm glad that you had the chance to to talk to him. Uh, but to go back to the futurist, <clears throat> I would have loved to have been a part of that conversation because there was a part where I was sort of jumping out of my chair, listening to it, disagreeing with him about you know how how bad it is now and it's going to need to get worse before it gets better. And we joke about this all the time here at the club. There is such a lack of appreciation and understanding for history in this country nowadays. Yeah. And this goes back to, you know, education policy. This is a whole separate aside. But there are so few people. I can't wait
0: to have that conversation. By the way, I'm in touch with somebody who is oh. an educational entrepreneur. And I, I'm hoping that we can make that happen.
1: That, that would be a fascinating yeah. episode because yeah. the, the, the minimization of history, the loss of that in schools is leading to a culture nowadays where people don't remember anything that would happen more than five minutes ago. Yeah. And I'm bringing this point up at what we're talking about now because there's a tendency for people to forget that, you know, everybody wants to say, well, it's worse now than it's ever been before. We are living in the darkest times. Listen, if you know anything about history, you know that that is not true. You know that there is a time, not all that long ago, when a senator openly attacked and beat another senator with his cane on the floor of the Senate. Can you even imagine, in our culture today, you think we have it bad, can you imagine one senator going up and literally physically assaulting another senator? I
2: would buy that on a pay-per-view. Yeah,
1: right. People be watching that. So it's It's just just, a reminder. It's great
2: C-SPAN viewing. Yeah, Right.
1: C SPAN's not that exciting. Uh, it's just a reminder. It's a reminder for people who yeah. do understand history that things have been way worse. They've been way darker. And despite any problems that we have today, it can be worse and it has been worse. As a matter of fact, it's
0: always been worse. Um, yeah, Greg, this, that's just a great, great point. And um, it's going to be repetitive to my audience because you're saying exactly what I've been saying the whole time. I'm a huge subscriber uh, to to Steven Pinker and his entire uh, raison d'etre, which is to tell us all that we're all better. Every single aspect of our personal lives is better. And that goes for even the developing world. Like he, his data is, you know. Shows very clearly that things are very, very good, uh, even though we continue to think, or many people continue to think it's bad. The one thing that I always say is this, Pinker's right, we're better, you are less likely to be violently killed you're less likely to uh, starve your baby is more likely to live to adulthood uh, you are less likely to uh, die of a disease uh, all of these things Every uh, oh by every by by every data point we are better as a human race right now across the globe and yet and here's a key and this goes back to what we're saying with these comments in that video which is we aren't happier that's a measure that seems to not be going in the right direction. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying to figure out right now which is we're all better but we're not happier that seems to actually be kind of going down a little bit at least in western society western society uh, developing nations don't seem to have that problem hmm i wonder why what's the uh, now I'm, I'm not even going to make that kind of because that's for people that are smarter than me but it, there is something to how we are relating to our world right now where it's a disconnect and why we're not happy even though we're better off
2: we have all the stuff yeah but you're right By any metric, life, and not just in first world countries, but across the globe, life in the 21st century is better now than it has ever been in human history. And I think that lack of happiness, as we call it, um, here in first world cultures, we are so incredibly disconnected from the actual fight for survival. Oh, yeah, yeah, I drove past Starbucks this morning, and I, this is... A tr- <laughs> Friday morning on the way I to love work, the way you just went, okay, this is... A, you're like trying to gear yourself up to no crap. <laughs> Friday morning on the way to work, I stopped by Starbucks. I'm going to get a bagel and a coffee, and they're closed. The little strip mall that they're in has had a power failure, and they're closed. And I'm like... The world is coming to an end. No, no, it's first world problems yeah. somewhere. Some poor son of a bitch doesn't have clean drinking water. Yeah. And I'm upset because I can't get a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, we tend because we're disconnected from that, from the, the struggle of existence and survival. I think we tend in the first world to think, Oh, it's all doom and gloom. Um, I up until recently with the, I had a bird dog. I had a German short-haired pointer, and we hunted. um, At one point, we hunted as a religion. Um, And uh, one of my friends who's uh, totally against the hunting and eating of animals thing was like, what do you get out of that? I said, well, for me, I've distilled all of life's problems down to their essential elements. I have to get up. I have to find something to eat. And the dog and I would go out in the field and we'd find a bird and we'd shoot a couple of birds. We'd take them home, we'd cook them, we'd eat them. And I think that notion that at the end of the day, life is about the struggle to survive. We are so far culturally removed from that, that we see little trivial stuff as, oh, it's all doom and gloom and it's the end of the world. You have no idea. None of us. A10s aren't going to fly over my house and blow the shit up. Um an occupying army isn't going to disconnect isn't going to wreck our infrastructure and make my kids not have schools and and turn my family into suicide bombers. We're not going to struggle to raise food, all the shit that the rest of the world is dealing with it isn't a thing that affects my life. So all the stuff that we see as strife and struggle is nonsense. But because we're in a culture that has access to all the communication and all the media, we blow all that trivial crap like, oh, the Starbucks was closed. That becomes a big deal, and it's not. Yeah. And I think a great deal of what we think is all doom and gloom is just a matter of perspective. If you step back and look at... It's some hipster idiot who, you know, oh, I took my Prius to the Starbucks and they didn't have pumpkin spice latte. The world is ruined. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, and, and I get, you know, that's the, maybe that's the worst thing that's ever going to happen in your life. So you see that as this tragedy. But in the great cosmic scheme of things, there's nothing that's going to happen in my life or Greg's life or your life that's any significant tragedy we're going to grow old we're going to retire we're going to die. Our children are going to sell our shit for less money than we paid for it. None of that is tragedy. That's just how the world works. Yeah, you know
0: what? All of this is so I'm just sitting here nodding to everything you're saying. There could be tragedy. You could have tragedy. Of course, there are people that have tragedy every single day and and we deal with it. I just want to remind everybody that we started this entire conversation and got off on this great tangent, which I just love uh, by talking about um, the Battle of Gettysburg with uh, toy soldiers And, and we and we've gotten to this, which is the beauty of this entire genre of 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 content, which is podcasting, right? Because, um, you know, like I always use the example that Joe Rogan talked to Elon Musk for three hours smoking pot. It was, and they went into weird places, John and it was great. Yeah, she right. Was. God bless it. I'm just like, this is perfect. Um, but you're right, and it, it let's bring it back around because the bottom line is you we are able to enjoy. Um, A level of prosperity that allows us to uh, to have hobbies that we can pursue um, in in a way that, you know, outside of just trying to scrape a living uh, because we have progressed uh, in our human race. And and so here we are in this incredibly beautiful uh, club that you guys have built uh, with people that have come together in a, uh, you know, uh, under the love of a common thing. Uh, which is historical miniatures wargaming. And we're able to do that. And I, I think that you guys, again, I, I I just can't say enough about the content you're producing because it really does uh, take, you know what? It takes me away a little bit from what you were just talking about. Just the everyday, you know, every day I get on the, uh, the, the New Jersey turnpike to the garden state expressway to go to work. That's That's hard, right? That's hard. That's hard driving. And you, 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 you lose perspective of course. Um, now, I could get hit by a truck and that would be tragic, but usually it's just somebody has cut me off and that's that's not tragic, but it seems like it, but it's not. And I have a roof and I have a family and I have food and I'm over I'm able to come and talk to you guys and and meet new friends and have these great conversations. Um, and and I think that that's we should you know when you talk about perspective, that's the kind of perspective we all need. And so here you guys are making these great videos, and you know I'm not even going to go. I, I had a couple more notes written down, but I, we've been talking a while. I think we've been what is it, almost two hours? Ooh, I haven't Seventeen even, hours. Yeah, so, yeah right. <laughs> um Rip Van Winkle waking up. Uh, <laughs> no, but I you know I just think that's a good place. Let, let's bring it back to the channel. You, you guys are kind of navigating that from the club. Uh, Among the members, hey, we've got this beautiful thing that we've created. We don't want that to go away. Um, How do we do that in going forward and still producing content that people like myself are really enjoying and hope it keeps going? And how long does it have to keep going uh, before maybe someone new takes the reins uh new blood i, I don't know how often you it, get
1: it goes on as as long as we're having fun doing it yeah that's sort of the communal agreement that, yep. that we've had here and right now everybody is having fun doing it
0: yeah let me ask this you you talked about it before you were like hey how do we get people into this and and one way of course is a youtube channel where people see it and go wow this is really neat i'd like to do this too so if they're in Topeka, Kansas. You guys have a, a video, actually, that talks about, hey, how do you start something like this? It's and you go
1: through it, One right? of the most rewarding parts of running the channel is getting comments and emails. We get a lot of emails, actually, and you can tell the channel's becoming more popular based on the volume of emails yeah. of people saying, wow, you know, I, I didn't know this existed. I, uh, how do I start? I'd love to check this out. How do I find a club in my area? And when you see an email like that, you realize, wow, you know, we somebody, act- this worked. Somebody saw this, and apparently it's, Actually, at this point, way more people than I thought were going to see it. So uh, that that in and of itself is, is actually pretty energizing for us because we we did start it knowing that there was a part of this project that was going to be about evangelizing for a hobby that we are great, passionate great about. Word. Great word. Um, and it's having an impact. So that's pretty cool. And the great part about YouTube and podcasting for what you're doing is that it lives forever. Yeah. I mean, you, you publish your podcast. I publish a YouTube video. That lives as long as that service is online. I mean, after you've done the work, there could be 10 years from now, somebody could find our Battle of Gettysburg video for the first time, and they're watching that video. Forever like AOL. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're right. The, the word "forever," of course, has, carries a, a, a huge uh, epistemological <laughs> connotation. Um, but yes, you're right. I mean, it's out there, it, and it's and it's archived for at least as long as the, the platform is around, in some form or, or another. Plus, you all you all have the content as well yourself. Uh, I mean, great point. Let me ask this: You guys, are you? Um, when it comes to evangelizing, which I love that word, Greg, uh, for something that you, you find you, know, you hold dear and hope that other people will enjoy as well, uh, um, any attempts to get younger guys in, in your club, like t- to bring in youth? Um, you said that your dad dropped you off. Uh, when when Chow had this thing going in a uh, in a comic book backstore, right? You couldn't even drive. Your dad was like, "Hey, yeah, here, go hang out with some older guys in a comic book store, right?" Way to go, Dad! Uh, dad of the year. Gee, you no. almost <laughs> make it sound creepy, Bart. I <laughs> know, uh,
1: isn't that great? Uh,
0: yeah. I, I did, so I'm just laughing. I'm like, "Yeah, I we, can, we, we I can see tropes. my dad right yeah. now being like, man, 'Man, couldn't you be at like uh, football practice or something, <laughs> Bart?' You know?" But it's it's, it's it, seriously, it's um,
2: my
1: dad would complain about, "Oh, I gotta drive this
2: kid." Yeah,
0: well, that's the other but thing, right? I'm not driving have I mean, you find your own way there? Get had, on your bike and go.
1: I had good parents that were so, indulging yes. my interest of history, no, but, and I was always very interested in history, which is unusual for young people. That comes back to our I education know. comment. Yeah. I think that schools could do a better job making it more exciting for people. Uh, but the YouTube channel has definitely uh, helped us get a little bit younger. It's actually helped us add members.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I was going to uh, say. Is are you getting members that are, are that are older or uh, across the board?
1: Yeah, across the board. We we did add uh, Simon as one of our newest members, and Simon's about my age, Um, you know, I'm 34 and um, you know in wargaming terms 30s is is quite young Yeah. Uh, this hobby does skew older for a variety of, of legitimate well, reasons
0: yeah so again the 16 year old has got um, he's fighting for his social life or her social life that's probably not going to
1: that's part of it yeah. uh, money is part of it yeah, it's not money. a cheap hobby no. uh, in order to buy miniatures and buy wargames you could be looking at easily hundreds hundreds of dollars to do that and you know honestly a lot of <laughs> hundreds Tony's toni- no that thousands. reminds me of that line in thousands. Fletch when he walks <laughs> into the guy's
0: uh, man. So he's like, must have cost you uh, hundreds. <laughs> yeah. must have cost you dozens of dollars. Uh, it is dozens not... Dozens of dollars. No, yeah. I, I actually had re- that written down. I was like, you know what, I'm not even going to go to the cost of it, but yes. It's
1: not a cheap hobby. Yeah. Uh, that is part of it. And also, I think the other but part But the fact that you
0: have a club, though... Makes it a little more approachable on the money side, right? Because you guys probably—I don't know—do you have dues? Or we
1: we don't have dues. Okay, um, but uh, it is true. I mean, some of some of the newer members that you pick up may come into this hobby with no miniatures. They have nothing except an interest in doing it. And then maybe after they come here and play some games, they'll go out and, and buy their own figures. But. Uh, I think the cost is part of it. The sort of social stigma may be part of it, and the last part of it is uh, there's got
0: to be less of that social stigma. Less got and less to be, and you want it's because we're able again, progressive society, right? We're able to enjoy things that are more what we want to enjoy, be ourselves because right. we're able to find things you couldn't in the old days, right? I mean, there's no way. I mean, unless you picked up a magazine right. somewhere and saw. a or went into the classifieds.
1: The the internet has definitely has changed all of that. But for the historical part of the hobby specifically, I think there's a part of human nature that as you get older, you do find you become a little more interested in history. I mean, I started gaming, you know, when I was younger than when I joined this club with fantasy gaming. That's how a lot of people start. You know, you start playing fantasy or sci-fi because when you're a kid, you know, playing with dragons is cool. Uh, And then as you get a little bit older you realize that, hey, actually World War II is kind of cool. So the hobby in general does just skew older. I think your average player, there have been studies on this in historical wargaming, is actually in their 50s. Uh, So it's not uncommon for somebody to sort of join the hobby for their first time uh, in their 50s. And we've gotten new members here at this club anywhere from uh, 30s 30s and up. So uh, let's...
0: um I, I've really monopolized your time. Let, let's wind up first. I, I want to get your thoughts. What What do you guys hope for for the future of Little Wars TV? What are you looking forward to? Do you have any ideas that uh, for things uh, you know that might be different?
2: I think there's lots of ideas. Um, we kick around ideas constantly for oh, what if there's a season three? What if there's a season four? We kick around ideas constantly for what kind of stuff we would do for content. Uh, I don't know how the rest of the people involved in this feel about it for me I, in my mind i have a list of stuff that i'd love to do as an episode of little wars tv i i appreciate that there's thousands of people watching these videos i don't want to do a video because oh 1500 people said let's see blah blah, yeah. blah. so what um because I got to paint all the miniatures and build the terrain and write the script and all that other crap. I want to do something that I'm passionate about. So, you know, I look at projects as this is something I could get really enthused about. And if Greg and Steve are like, oh, I think there's an audience for that, great, we'll do it. Um, And I I think part of the reason that the channel works is that we've been true to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. We've done games that we want to do Do they look at metrics and this is the sort of stuff that people want to see? Of course they do. Yeah. Is that what's driving what we're going to produce as content? No, because at the end of the day, because there's no money in it, nobody's getting paid for this. It comes down to what is it that we here as a club of war gamers are willing to commit the additional time aside from what we're already spending on our hobby to doing this thing. Here's, here's some stuff that I could get enthused about doing. So that as far as what kind of projects we're going to do in the future, we're going to do the stuff that we can get psyched enough about yeah. to carry on with season three, season four, whatever season it is.
0: Yeah. You wouldn't want to get to the point where you're, you're like, okay, let's do this just because it, there seems to be a demand because then it wouldn't come through with that, that, that that genuineness that you guys have.
1: We do try to cover a, a purposely, a wide variety yeah. of topics yeah. and periods. Uh, even though there are periods here we're all a little bit more interested in, you you want to get the widest breadth of history as possible because you know, people out there viewing are, are going to have a wide variety of interests. And for the future, you know, I think Tony sort of hit it there. There's... Everybody in the club's got a million ideas of the battles that they want to do. Everybody has their favorite battles, and there will never be enough time to do them all. Um, I am interested if we continue in trying to see if we can – make some changes to the format and play around with that. I'd like to do more war games on battlefields the way that we did at Gettysburg. Yeah. Um, that's a logistical that's, challenge. That's cool, yeah. It's a big logistical challenge and a cost issue. Uh, but
0: yeah, you guys I, went up to Princeton for the uh, and, and did your... W- we did a tour at
1: Princeton yeah. and we did the, a part of the episode there. We didn't play the game there. No, that's right. You um, didn't. Uh... And I think it would be cool if we could get to a point where we played more games on battlefields. Um, that would make the naval battles problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just yeah that would be interesting. Um, the, the other idea... That I've been kicking around. That I won't get into the specifics here because I do have some notion of this. Okay. I want to make the games more interactive for the viewer. I'm interested in finding Ooh. ways that we could. If you saw the rubbing video, my hands
0: together, if I'm, you
1: saw the Gettysburg video, yeah. you saw just a little taste of that. We gave people that's right pre-battle that's decisions. Right. And the cool thing about that is that if you happened to be a fan of the channel before we filmed it, you were able to weigh in on a couple of command decisions. The unfortunate part about that is that if you're coming, well, yeah, Tony's laughing for a different reason. Uh, the unfortunate part in Tony's mind is that we had to abide by your shitty command decisions. Uh, some of them were real turds. But what I was going to say from a format point of view is that the unfortunate part is that if you discover the video today, you don't get to vote on anything, right? The, the interactive element is over, yeah. that's already been done. I am interested in exploring a format where no matter when someone discovers the video, there might be the option for them to be involved, and I've got, um, I think, a pretty innovative idea for how to do that in another video. It's going to take a lot of work on our part, but I think it could be, it's never been done before on, uh, on a YouTube video. It's been done in some other written formats, to give you just a little hint of where I might be going.
0: This is really fascinating.
1: But right I, I, I've got an idea. By
0: the way, you are very, in- what, do you do in your, what, what, what do you do in your day job?
1: Uh, I'm a real estate developer, okay. which is how this building got acquired, okay. to go back to Ah, that. Yeah, nice. Um, But uh, I I definitely have an idea for where I'd like to see this go on an interactive level because, for me, that would take this from just watching a YouTube video to a sort of next-level experience for the viewer where they can engage with the history in a way that's more powerful than just watching a bunch of guys play a war game. Uh, Yeah. I want want people to be able to make choices. I want people to feel like they're in the game. Well, I'm super intrigued.
0: Uh, I I love it. Let's leave it at at that then, because I love where that is. It's almost like a cliffhanger. I can't wait to see what this is. Um, Guys, I I really appreciate it. Uh, I could sit here forever because I have a whole bunch of notes, but uh, I I think that's just a great spot right there where we're like, okay, Craig's got an idea. This is going to be good. Let's see what comes up next. Thank you again so much. Um, Tell them where they can find you guys.
1: Sure. Uh, of course, they can find us on YouTube by just Googling our channel, Little Wars TV. Um, they can also find us on a homepage, LittleWarsTV.com, where we've got some additional content. And of course, that'll direct them to all the videos. Uh, Tom uh, is our, our Twitter guy here at the club, so he does run a Twitter account for us, because you got to be where all the kids are. Uh, so definitely, you can, you can find us on, on all those different outlets. And um, I hope that maybe you and Keith at some point might be interested in coming down here and joining us for a game. Oh, I mean, it's, it's really cool that, that you, as someone who's not a war gamer, I find it very cool that you stepped out and said, wow, I want to talk to these guys. I want to learn more. That is the kind of excitement that I hope that our channel encourages and other viewers. And it's really neat that you wanted to come have this conversation. So we would love to extend the invitation for you and a buddy, whether it's Keith or somebody else that you know who might have an interest in military history, to come down here on a weekend or on a Monday evening and, and jump into a game.
0: Well, Greg, I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to talk for chunks right now because he's going to be listening to this later. He's going to be like... Fuck yeah, Bart! Tell them yes. So yes, absolutely. We would love to come over here. I know it. It would be awesome. And uh, and you're right. It, it is so. From people who don't don't come from that background, I can tell you already that it's you are really pulling people in. I, I can just only speak for me, but you're. I think you're pulling people in. It's just great, great, great stuff.
2: We'd love to have you. um Plus, our scotch. Uh, right, so, <laughs> if you showed up, that's either totally cool or totally pathetic. Look at your perspective. <laughs> but we'd love to have you come out and game with us some night.
0: Well, uh, I, I, that would be awesome. I know that Keith would say yes, and absolutely an enthusiastic guest for me. So we'll, we'll we'll talk offline, make that happen for sure. I can't wait. That'd be great, guys. Thank you so so much. I appreciate it. it was really awesome.
1: Thanks so thank much.
0: Thank you. Yep. <laughs> I love it, guys. Holy moly, we went down a huge rabbit hole. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here again today in the Ready Room. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I did. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more of the same in the near future with intriguing and inspirational guests from all walks of life. If you did like it and you want to join us again, please subscribe to The Ready Room and take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, your favorite podcast app, wherever it is you're going to get your podcasts. Uh, You can also find us online at readyroombrief.com. I've been your co-host, Richard Frederick. And on behalf of Chunks and myself, we really thank you for being here. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you'll join us next time in the Ready Room.